Hello. We are glad you found us. Please sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Welcome to When Life Attacks. back lifers i'm uh I'm, I'm back with the living i have uh i've shirked the illness how are you travis um my throat's a little dry actually i uh you ever um forget to get something to drink when you eat your lunch mm, well, I eat, well i mean i've i've, I've run low <laughs> yeah it's uh yeah i got my lunch i got my sandwich and i you know started taking a few bites into it went to just kind of you know wash it down and uh, there was nothing there. So I just had to eat the whole sandwich, just dry. Uh, and I, I feel like, like, like now my voice is a, a part of the dryness. Did you get the, the dry double swallow where you're like, <clears throat> like you, you, know, you went to wash it down and it didn't quite happen? There was nothing in there? You're like, <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Did that happen? Just like the, oh, come on. Get down there, you son of a bitch. It hurts. Yeah. I feel for you. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, so I've been, um, ever since then, I've just been pounding the water. I might have to stop this, actually. At some point, that's going to catch up with me. Just needing water? Well, yeah, since the sandwich, I've been needing the water, but now I've drank all this water. What do you think? That's going to, you know, that's just sitting around in there, hanging out. It's going to want to get out at some point, so. How's your health? How are you feeling overall? Feeling all right. Health is okay. The, uh, the paranoia is down. The I do need a haircut. You do? Yeah, yeah. It's starting, so, to get, it's starting to get hot, humid. Makes my hair all frizzy and shit. I got to tell you something. What's that? My wife really wants you to take on a new style. Really? Yep. She thinks you're doing yourself a disservice. Really? She does. She has thought you should talk to her about it. Okay. I can't offer any more than that because we've been in a 14-year fight over haircuts. Okay. So she thinks I need to do something, like, radical with it? Or I'm a simple guy, man. I fucking get in the shower, I shampoo, um, and then I play it as it lies, as they say in golf. Yeah. She I, thinks you could, uh, you could make a few adjustments. A few adjustments? Like you know. what, like effort? <laughs> well, no, I mean, you've seen my do, you know, I want things pretty maintenance free and she's allowed to pick it because I don't ultimately give two shits, you know, whatever. As long as she keeps me looking, I don't know, you know, so people aren't <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty happy. I mean, you did get the Hitler do. I did. That was a, you know, that was a miscalculation. That was really when you don't care and you sit down in a chair and you're blind, you know, I'm blind. If you take my glasses off during a haircut, somebody cuts my hair they ask me how it looks and they haven't handed me the glasses i'll just say it looks great you know yeah. like i literally feel the sides i'm like fine i can't remember what episode it was but you talked about that haircut <laughs> i got feedback yeah you uh you went into a place that probably didn't cater to your style of hair no no, no. 
know, they, I didn't realize that you know there was going to be a difference between a black and a white haircut. High and tight, high and tight, buddy. <laughs> it was a miscalculation. That or they were probably like, oh, look at this fucking asshole walking in here. Who you know what? Let's let's make this let's make this guy look like Hitler. There's some rules if Holly. You I'm know, sorry, who? Holly. My wife's name's Holly. We call her Doll on the show, but okay. her name's Holly. Okay. Uh, if she cuts her hair, you're gonna have to walk the line. What do you mean? Well, the reason she hasn't cut my hair since she was in hair school is because, as you know, I'm antsy. Yeah. You know that. I can't sit still. And she was learning to cut hair. And, like, you know, teachers were coming over and they were evaluating the haircut because she needs so many haircuts to graduate from school. And by the way, she went to school with, for this and didn't do this as a living or for, for a profession. And uh, I start, you know, about 20 minutes in, I'm starting to be like Mr. Prick, you know. And I feel like I could talk to her like, hey. Like, we were on the same level. I'm like, yeah. hey, why don't you just buzz it so that they aren't assholes? You'll get your hair cut. I can go watch football. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because was it like a Monday night game or something? Or Well, it d- didn't matter. It didn't matter. Football you just, se- I just didn't want to be there. Yeah, you had, to, you had to get to a fucking game. All the, you know, and all of her friends, it's, oh, this is your boyfriend, you know. Oh, I've heard so much about you. Yeah, or, or they look at you like, oh, this is him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, what, what have you been, what, what, do you, what, what have you, you been by feeding that? him? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I just wanted to get out of there. And by the time we hit an hour, she was crying because yeah. I was because because and I, I didn't feel like I was being that big of a jerk, but she was feeling that I was being that big and of a she jerk. she was crying. Yeah. So oh. ultimately they buzzed my head, which I was fine with. I don't give a shit. You know, it's already it's relatively no difference to how. Oh, I man, you did her no to favors too. a fucking room full of hairdressers mm. and you made her cry. Oh, He's such a piece of shit. I was her first haircut, I'm told. Her first live one. You're so much better than him, Holly. You're so (laughs) much better than him. Now, keep in mind, I'd had my hand burned when they put, you know, do you know girls dip their hand in fucking hot wax and then wrap it right out of the wax in cellophane for, for for a manicure? No. It's real painful. I don't, I've never had one. I've never been to one. How about? Girls uh, have talked to me, like they just could say, you know, I've had a girlfriend and she's gone out and done her manicure or pedicure or whatever and come back and say, hey, how do your thing go? Oh, it's great. Look at my nails. Okay, cool. So you've never dated anybody in beauty school? Uh, no. Or had a friend go through beauty school? Well, my Texas exes was going to start esthetician school, but like most of her endeavors that ended within like a week. Okay. Let me lay this down for you. This right. fucking beauty school shit is fraud. It is first class bullshit, blackmail fraud. No, I'm not kidding. So not only do they pay top dollar for this, but they have like this imaginary punch card. And on it, whether they're going to do hair or they're going to do nails or they're going to do whatever, they have to have so many haircuts, so many manicures, so many facials, so much of all this shit, right? Yep. Well, in order to fill this out, they need to now encourage friends and family to become patrons of this beauty school. Yeah, I did that once last year for uh, someone that worked at the liquor store. Um, But by then, though, she already had all of her stuff done. So she was like, well, here's like Jonelle. She needs help. So so then I got her and I was like her second one. And, you know, like they start off and you're like, "Okay, I just want it up to here. Well, then they screw up, so it goes a little higher and a little higher, 
Well, and there, uh, there had to be a point where I was like, okay, this is, I didn't want her to not get her A, so I just sat there and just kind of took it. Okay. And uh, it went a little too high. I think you remember this haircut. It was right before my dad came out last year. Actually, it's the haircut that I have on the uh, When Life Attacks PSA, our yeah, one, one preppy, one of, preppy haircut. Yeah, one of our two uh, YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. That was great. We should do another one of those. That was fun. We could probably do one before we do uh, the next cult. Okay. Yeah, we. Uh, yeah, we we could. We're really in need well, of a PSA right that now. Could be a good bad call depending on how that's received. Let's think on it. Yeah, I, I think we could use a PSA, <clears throat> which takes me real quick. Once again, you don't have to bogart the show if you know a friend or anybody that uh, you know has similar interest as you. Please feel free to share it on. I could put that a different way. What I would like you to do is actually, if you're friends of the show, you enjoy the show, I need you to get one person just to share it or repost it or do something. We uh, we need to strengthen the the core of the show and and get it out there. We want more of you around the campfire. We like talking to you guys. We'll we'll beg. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, why mince words? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, all podcasts are doing it right now. So podcasts, fucking the Fox News does it. I mean, everybody needs yeah. needs an audience. Yeah. And I, I get it, man. It's summertime, You're, especially if you live in a state like we live in in Minnesota. You only have a couple of good months. Please go out there and do them. But maybe while you're throwing some Frisbee or something, put on some When Life Attacks, share it with a friend. Maybe then when they're driving to work, they can listen to it. Fishing's boring. We could, you know, lighten it up for you. Or a friend. There you go. Or a couple of friends. Well, back to my... Yes. Back to my beauty school issues. So, uh, you know, you've got this punch card. They, of course, lure all the family and friends through there. And once the punch card's full, just like with your girlfriend passing you on to another girlfriend, maybe other areas of the punch card aren't. So now, instead of me coming in for a haircut, I'm coming in for a manicure or a facial. You ever had a facial? I don't mean the porn kind, the you know, actual facial, beauty I, kind. I have had neither. Mm-hmm. Well, wait, in Alaska, I had a glacial facial where when you're going through the, um, the river there in Denali and um, you know, you're supposed to like just put your face in the river as you're going through on the raft. Or no, no, you're in the front of the raft and then when you hit the rapid... And the water sprays you in the face. They call it a glacial facial. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the only facial that I've had. No, no beauty touches, no masks by, you know, female companions, nothing. Uh, you I, never I, found yourself in a peel? I, I, I had a girlfriend wax me for a play once. How many years have you spent in relationships? Just sidebar. Uh, not, not Calling sidebar. <laughs> How many years have you spent in a relationship? Let's see. There was the one. There was the other one, and there was that one. Like, serious ones, right? Uh, just boyfriend, girlfriend. I mean, you don't have to be... Did summer friend. flings count? Uh, did you share? Did you cohabitate? So we're only talking cohabitation? Yeah, cohabitation, or, or she had her own place, and you found yourself there a lot. Oh, okay, so summer or flings. vice versa. Okay, can count, kind of. Um, so I got I to gotta add that up. So there was You can be a round number. You don't have to be on the nuts. More than five years? No. Oh, God, no. No. Um, two to five, two to five years you've spent relationships. That's enough time to have 
uh, been picked at and been uh, mused and pruned and and just prodded. Oh, oh, I've been bullied. Yeah, basically. I've been bullied. So, I mean, you you must have found yourself in a mask or a peel or a wax or something. Uh, What's the one thing, like the cold mask when you go to bed? The the uh, the avocado thing. The no, 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 no. You like throw it in. Yeah, it's for the puffy eyes because you know I always look like I'm running on no sleep. Mm-hmm. I just have naturally baggy puffy eyes, and so I always. I, yeah, what's the fucking? You put the mask in the freezer during the day, and yeah, then you just the, a gel mask. Yeah, that thing. Yeah, yeah. I got. I got. I had Dude, that. You've put gotten on me. Off so light. Um, this is it, really? Yeah, I mean, I've been told to manscape. So I did that myself, though, because uh, I'm not letting this any people... This is so, so weird. Like I said, I, I was waxed, uh, but that was... That was not even the TV chick? She wasn't, like, bothering you? <laughs> no, no. She was probably the best out of all of them, actually. Holy hell. Actually, her only thing was, like, she, I, she wanted me to go into the bathroom to fart. I'll get behind that. Really? You're not allowed to just fart in your own fucking house? I don't do that. You don't fart? Not in front of anyone, no. Oh, my God. Yeah, you would, you would get along with Texas exes. Yeah, she apparently never shat. Not once. I never even once had an inkling of a clue. Isn't that amazing? She's one of my favorite of your ex-girlfriends now. <laughs> so, not a clue. Not I, a clue. I picture my spouse is never using the restroom ever. Yeah. We've this, been together 15 years. It's amazing. Yeah, same. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, with her. Yeah, never once knew. Uh, well, I have a, you know, I have a feeling that we might, you, you look at it like a we're comfortable enough to be around ourselves and be ourselves and this and that, right? Like it's, we're, we're sharing the same space. It's my house, your house. Yeah. Just let it all out there. Yeah, like why should I have to really hurt my stomach and my guts? Why? Because you don't want to hear my fart? You don't want to, you know, so my fart, put the fucking blanket over your fucking mouth and your nose. Put the blanket over. You know, use the filter. Uh, you know, I'll put the T-shirt up over. Right. You know, use your filters. You learned this when you were a kid. I'm very confident the vast majority of people agree with you. Thank you. I'm in the minority that believes that all of those little sacrifices are building, you know, are just really out of respect for, for her and vice versa. I don't want to know you that well. I don't want to watch you go to the bathroom. I don't want to, you know... I don't want that. I just, I, I don't want that to be part of us. See, I don't, I don't think that it's like a crucial thing. Like, I'm not going like, I need to see you pee. But like, <laughs> what? like that's not me. That's not me at all. But what? good God. All right. I've known you. I mean, I've seen your body all over. So if you happen to leave the door open one day, I'm not going to make a fucking federal case over it. Yeah, I might. Like, <laughs> you might. Like, I, 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 told, I used to tell Doll all the time, I'm like... You do that in front of me, it's done. <laughs> We're done. We are done. I don't want that kind of relationship with you. I don't want to watch you flatulate. I'm not down. What about in their sleep? Have you ever been farted on? Like, had a girl fart on you, like, in your sleep? Like, you're still awake, she's kind of sleeping, and then just... And Over you feel here, the air? Anything that happens while a person's leg? sleeping, I don't blame them for. Okay. Anything, that, anything I overhear when you try to be discreet, I don't blame you for. All right. What I don't like is the careless nature to which a person carries themselves. I don't want that much freedom between us. So basically like, oh, God, I ate too much Thai, Jim. I got to take a shit. 
Just give, give, give me 30, honey. Give me 30. I'm, I'm, I'm going to work on a novella here. I'd pass out. I'd fucking pass out. <laughs> I can't, I'm not that guy. I'm just not that guy. What about like if she's about to have a photo finish? Like you just had some all-you-can-eat sushi, <laughs> buffet style. Yep. And she's in the car, and it's obvious, you know, she's got the trots, and you're off to the tracks. Like you don't even want to hear that. You want her to just sit there like a mannequin the whole time, just pretending that this war isn't erupting in her stomach. Yep. Asshole. Yep. Asshole. And I do the same. Ugh. I do the same. I don't trap a person in the car. I don't take any satisfaction over it. I don't gauge smell. I don't want to try to guess what she ate. All that shit is gross. No wonder you're so stressed out, man. I don't burp and <laughs> blow it in her face or you're belch all, or any of that shit. You're all just full of flatulence. No wonder you're stressed out, man. You need you need to relieve the pressure a little. Well, I don't have that. I don't have. I'm, I'm burning clean, dude. I don't have any of those issues. You're burning clean. I am. Even when I was sick, I wasn't like James oh my Hamilton. God. My shit don't stink. Well, no, I'm just saying it's not. Uh, I don't have that kind of indigestion. Okay. I mix a salad in from time to time. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm, I'm a kept man. I have someone who's like got a, well, you need to eat this. You need to eat that. And, you, know. you, got your, uh, you got your gym food pyramid down, Pat, huh? Right. If I was in the, you know, watching her do the dishes and I saw her lift a leg, I'd fucking start packing. Right. I just can't do it. I, I just cannot do that. That's a little assy, but and, pun intended. And through all those relationships, you never found yourself wearing a mud mask. No. No, like peels. I don't think so. No shampoo correction. No, no anything. Shampoo like you're using the wrong shampoo? Mike, the other day I was sitting on the couch and all of a sudden, you know, like I had my hand on the armrest and I had my other hand holding my iPad. And all of a sudden she grabbed one of my fingers and she's like, you need to clip your nails like this. And she just started like clipping my nails. I'm like, well, what are you doing? She's like, well, you know, you're encouraging an ingrown nail. And if you just do this little da 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 and it's like, you know, she's like constantly like, well, I don't know what she's just poking and prodding and just, you know, yeah. this and that. Yeah, I've been bullied. That? Yeah, I've been bullied, but it's been so long and with so little time that I've been single for so long now. I mean, I've fortunately been able to just kind of put those in the rear view. So I'm going to get blindsided again next uh, real relationship I get in, apparently. You know, once again, we we made our, like, pre-show list, and, like, I can cross off so many of these because we're not going to get to them. No. So uh, let me go to the one thing I've been trying to talk about. We'll just fucking push the rest to next week. Um, I've been going to a lot of concerts this summer. All right. And uh, I ended up my, – my most recent one was, like, a small town thrown by the parks – Concert, like yeah, open yeah. field, just kind of town, little town get together. You know, this is what we do. Here's a local band. Well, no, they try to bring a headliner to the local show. Okay, so it's been like Brent Michaels has been there, and uh, was, was he there with his bandana? He was. He was. <laughs> you know, Poison showed up, and uh, you know, this, Cece Cece Deville showed up. This last one was the fray. I went the on fray. Friday with my brother and his wife and my sister and her husband, and we all went to... See, they were around in my 20s, but they weren't one of the ones that I listened to. Is it Grey's Anatomy they do the song for? I don't fucking know, dude. I don't listen to them. It's, it's all like, I don't know, gentle masturbation music. You know, it's this real <laughs> like, you know, a random piano key and a, you know, shaken... Pleasant voice. Oh, really? And they, they call themselves the fray? And like then, they're so frayed? I don't know. It's, uh, you know, it's just 
but it was the first time I saw a group take the stage as the headliner or the reason why. I mean, there were a lot of people there. I would say there were probably anywhere from five to 7,000 people there. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah, for a little parking show. Headliner comes out, nice big stage, lights, looks all pro to the nines. You wouldn't have known it. No one cheered. There was no echo of the clap. Nothing. Okay. They just, like, I, have you ever seen when the, before the band comes out, there's that one guy that's like, plays a couple riffs of a popular song for the band you're about to see to warm the guitars. Yeah, yeah. Check one, two, check, <laughs> check, check. Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan. I thought that was the dude. <laughs> and then, like, they were playing. Oh, I used that trick in, like, one of my avant garde bands. Like, I just go out, or one of the guys would just go out and start playing a riff. Da dun, da dun, da dun, da dun. Then eventually the drummer would come out, da dun, da dun, da dun. And then, you know, the next guy would come out and add to it. Next guy would come out and add to it. And we actually played a park venue like that once. And um, by the time we were finished, uh, only friends of the uh, band were around because they wanted to party afterwards. That was about it. I don't think they were. That was freshman year of college. I don't think they were joking around, man. No, no, no. These guys, no. I think that, like, the the audience was just, I mean, there's nothing the fray is going to come out with that's going to, like, impact everyone into a cheering craze. Right, right, right. Everyone's not going to be singing along. Well, maybe they would be singing along. Na, 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 hey, hey, hey. Goodbye, the fray. Like, <laughs> we all showed up, all all seven thousand of us, to watch the fray, and none of us are interested in the fray. Like, at that point, do you just start socializing with the people next to you? Well, not you specifically. You're not that type, but probably someone like me. <laughs> you're not friendly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, don't poke the bear. <laughs> I was sober, cab. Okay, so, so that makes was... it even worse for you. So you're just sitting there judging. I was I was people watching. I always love people watching. Oh, it's people a, watching is great. It's always fun. And, uh, you know, I didn't dislike the music, but I was observing the show and I noticed that there was no excitement when they were on stage as they, the longer they played, the less people were involved in it. Because they're afraid. They're so depressed. They've been afraid. They were all leaving. So by the time we got to the last few shows, you could easily have walked right up to the front row and not have asked anybody to excuse me. So if you were like a huge The Fray fan, this would have been your show because it would have been... For you. Right. Like, <laughs> he would have been speaking to you. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> and uh, there was no encore, nothing. I mean, it was it was also the first show I'd seen where when well, you looked why up are you at the sky. you going to encore to one person? It was, it was, it was well, to be fair, so let's just say there were 7,000 people there, and let's say 3,500 people were just sort of scattered about enjoying the festival, and maybe another five were stuck in lines, and there were 3,000 people, like, engaged. By the time the show was over, and we're talking over the course of like a soccer field wide, there were maybe two, three hundred people. Just pockets, pockets of people. Yeah. Okay. Hipsters dancing to it, and like you could see they were dancing and wanting people to see them dance. Right. I didn't hipsters, like them. yeah, no, no. Hipsters just want to be seen. Dude, I'm finding I don't fucking like hipsters. No, I've never liked hipsters, and I'm a recovering hipster. I didn't, I didn't never, and they never bothered me. Maybe that's why I really hate hipsters is because I'm a recovering hipster. It's kind of like recovering alcoholics. How they? No, I don't want a fucking shot. <laughs> exactly. No, I don't want to wear fucking skinny jeans. And no, I don't want to dance like that to be fucking seen. And no, I don't want to listen to that band that your friend Crunchy was in. Fuck yourself. 
There was a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I got to take it easy with my, my recovery. Um, we, we shouldn't get into this too, too much. I, I probably should call my sponsor after the show, but I wasn't, I didn't go full blown hipster. I, I quit before it got to be a serious problem. It's, uh, I never, re- I never reached skinny jeans level. Um, yeah, you kind of did. No, never when did. You, when you first started the show, you had some low rise action going on. Well, no, I, I like, I like my lower cut jeans, but I always wear straight leg. I never, this is the same cut of jean I've been wearing for 15, 20, God, since I was a teenager. This is the same cut of jean I've worn. Yeah, me too. Straight leg. Yeah, straight leg. Um, no skinny jeans. You're never going to get me in that nut-hugging shit because my balls like to breathe. Um, I was guilty, still am, wearing the vintage shirts. Back then, though, I used to wear them tighter. <laughs> now, you know, body's going a little bit edge, so uh, wear them a little looser now. And I'm fine I'm buying less and less of them. Well, you're in recovery. So This festival was the first festival I've been to where instead of having security actively mixed amongst the audience, they had the security kind of on the perimeter. Yeah, why would they need the security by the band? Who's going to run up and fucking... They sent drones up because it's almost... There's very little light at this concert and, like, all the concessions are on the, you know, perimeter. That's scary right there. They're sending drones up. Every pothead in that place immediately just got the noids. For sure. There were three or four of them with blinking red lights, and you saw them launch them right by the police vehicles, and it would just hover in the same place with the camera going back and forth, doing surveillance to keep, you know, make sure everybody was walking the line. Weird. It was very weird. That's fucked up, man. It's RoboCop-esque. That's fucked up. That's. Do you think the government's taking a little too much control on that? All I could think about was how many batteries do they have for that thing? Because your average drone lasts about 20 minutes. I was there about three hours, and that thing was in the air. I think, was it one or two? I think Because there was only two of them. And they were in the air constantly. So were they just sending one up and then recharging, send the other up? One would go up as the other one was coming down, and there was always one in the air. Yeah, yeah. And it was... They probably had a recharge station or something. Must have been some, but it was weird. It was very Big Brother-like. I wouldn't like that, man. You're at a fucking concert. That's when you're supposed to be left the fuck alone. You're supposed to be stoned and comfortable. Yeah. It's kind of like when um, you would hear about the deadheads and they would send undercover FBI agents or ATF agents in there (sighs) acting like fucking deadheads. And they would travel with these people that traveled around with the Grateful Dead. And the whole time they'd just be like, dude, give me a hit of acid, man. Dude, give me a hit of acid, man. I remember this documentary I watched in the... um, Oh, roughly early mid nineties. It was right when I was learning about the Grateful Dead and when you sort of do with your rock history. So I'd say about mid nineties for me, which would have been about middle school, early high school. And this guy talked about this FBI agent that, you know, you wouldn't have thought he was an FBI agent, you know, appropriate age. Actually, what is the appropriate age at a deadhead show? I mean, you could be anywhere from like two to 60, 80, 90, just as long as you had the long hair. No, you know, bush. But uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, you've got like just like the bald head with like the long hair, like gray hair going Your around. parents and grandparents are probably the, the group and some strange misguided yeah. 20 year olds. So an FBI agent just grows his hair out. I mean, he can blend in easy. Put on some fucking, you know, Jerry Bear fucking tie dye shirt. And he just kind of followed this guy around. Dude, give me some acid. Dude, give me some acid. Where's Dude, the challenge in that? Like, if you're in law enforcement, you don't want to just shoot fish in a barrel. Right. Or uh, it's like kind of like just taking a stick of dynamite and throwing it in the lake, you know? Mm-hmm. The, um, 
And so eventually the guy sold him a hit of acid and he got put in jail for 20 years. This 22 year old guy not getting out of jail till he's 42 because he sold an undercover agent one hit of acid. I want to know how many people would like, if you just put that in a vote, here's what happened. Here's what he got busted doing. You're going to pay your tax dollars for him to be incarcerated for 20 years Yes or no, are you for it? How many fucking morons would be like, well, you should pay a price. Well, and if you see the guy, you know, everyone else in the room should just look at him and say, put your fucking hand down. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know? He should be sent to, you know, Rhode yeah. Island or something. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, send him to Milwaukee for two years. Let him, That's right, Milwaukee. I'm talking to you. I feel like <laughs> Oregon could correct that personality. We just send him out to Oregon and they would just solve it. Yeah, there you go. Oregon. Take care of this guy. They could reform folks. There you go. Oregon. Is, it, is Oregon weird? Uh, I've never been. I've never been up to the Northwest. That's one of the few regions in these great United States that I haven't been to. That could be a show. We could do like a little travel Pacific Northwest I'd love to. journey. Yeah. A little go, podcast so, journey. Yeah. You guys should um, encourage more people to listen in so we can do this show for you. Now, we, we have a special show today. Yeah, so cult month continues. It does. And it continues in a very big way. <sighs> okay. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's start we with... stretch. Ooh. Yeah. How much prep did you do for this show? Uh, well, how often do I come to shows with this much printed shit? Yeah. Um, I spent my entire weekend, like Friday night after I got off work, I cut loose, knocked a few back because I knew I was going to... And I did. I spent my entire... I called my mom this weekend... Just so like, Hi, mom. just so like, um, I could take a break from like, I had to get out of this guy's mind for an hour and my mom only wanted to talk for 10 minutes. We only talk like 10 minutes every month or so. And it was just kind of like, Hey, and I'm like, Hey mom, she's like, what are you calling me for? Um, yeah, just, how are you? Need to get out of this guy's head a little. She's like, Oh, which one are you doing? And told him who we're doing. She's like, Oh yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> So um, I didn't feel like even, you know, we were both pretty aware when this all took place. It wasn't like we were infants. Right. I was far from it. I was a junior in high school. I was I was still in elementary school, but I was I was in fifth grade. Ninety three. You were in fifth grade. Yeah. Ninety three. When this happened, I was was in in eleventh grade. grade. So I. uh, Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm excited to do this show. I've been very excited to do it, but at the same time, I'm also ready. I'm also excited to kind of get this show up because I'm this guy. I'm ready to get out of this guy's head. So what we're going to talk about today is, well, it's twofold. You can't really talk about one without talking about the other. We're going to talk about Waco. Now see Jen Waco, but specifically, uh, the branch Davidians. Well, that's specifically what it was about, was the Branch Davidians. Well, again, I, I told you in my text message, we're going we're gonna to have different points of view on this. How do we want to do this? Because we do have very differing uh, feelings on this. We may find we're closer than, than I think we are, but we're, how do you want to do this? <clears throat> well, let's, uh, let's give them a little history lesson. I think um, to know where we're coming from, we should start with... Well, the whole thing's a history lesson. Yeah, the whole thing is a history lesson. So do we start at the beginning? Because we're talking about cults. Um, unlike the last two cults, this cult was not uh, 
does not present itself as a we're going to commit suicide cult. No. Uh, although they were, as many of these, they actually feel they're a religion, not a cult. We're referring to them as a cult. Uh, and why I think a lot of people thought of them as a cult, right? Um, it's pretty much widely expressed that they're, um, now if you talk to, because like I said, part of my research from this, I went from every side. I went very pro-government side to look at it, and I reached out to, you know, and tapped into the conspiracy theorists. Now, the conspiracy theorists will have you believe that it was the media that caused us to believe that this is a cult, when in fact it actually is a legitimate church and a legitimate religious group, but they got spun wrong. They got, you know, the media spun it evil, and the government spun it evil, and brainwashed us all into calling it a cult. Then you have the other side where you look at the facts given and you look at people that got out of the Branch Davidians before this went down and they'll tell you, and even your comp, I'll let you judge for yourself, but I'm, I'm calling it a cult too. That's why we included it in cult month. If I didn't believe it was a cult, it wouldn't be in cult month. We'd be doing it some other time of the year. Well, it is an end times <clears throat> group of people planning again for the end of days. Right, so that very kind of apocalyptic. Drops you into the cult group. Right, and you were expected to to do. You you, you mirrored many of the things that cults expect you to do to gain control. So, yes. based on those things, let's let's jump into let's jump into this. I'm going to try to organize this, and you interrupt me as you see fit. Okay, will do. Um, basically, the events that took place in Waco also affected the Oklahoma City bombing. That is very correct. And, and played a, uh, a precursor to Waco was something called Ruby Ridge. Yes. Now, the reason Ruby Ridge and Waco are tied so closely to one another is that both of these things were separatist, separating separatist the, groups. They were people that were very, they wanted to be very, la- they wanted the government to be very laissez-faire with them. They just kind of wanted to go off the grid and do their own thing. Um, but once again, when you live in a society, you know, the government kind of says you can't, you know, there, there is still the law of the land and you must follow it. Right. They, they wanted to break off for, for society as we know it mm-hmm. and create their, you know, live in their own version of the world. Right. Very separated from the rest right. of us. Now, Ruby Ridge, very different type of separating than the folks in Waco or Mount Carmel to be right. So if you'd heard about Ruby Ridge or you'd heard about Waco, you heard about it in one of two pretenses. One, you had, uh, uh, the government overstep their bounds and interrupt due process and cross the line and cost American citizens their lives. Yes. That would be one version of how you might look at this. On the other side of this, you could look at this like, the government stepped in between us and the whack jobs. <laughs> that we had some violent, uh, not, maybe not even violent, but yeah, but I think you, you, you captured it. Yeah. You captured it. They were, these were people that needed, a, a, needed to, uh, an interview. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there, were cause, there was cause for concern. Yes. And why Ruby Ridge and Waco led to uh, what happened in Oklahoma City is that the uh, former was uh, was how it was received by the Oklahoma City bomber. Timothy McVeigh. And he felt like the government overstepped its bounds, and this was his response. Which was to kill more innocent people. 
kids, kids. adults. So. He knew it. And then he said, well, and then his reason behind doing it. Well, first he said, I didn't know there was kids. And then he said, well, why'd you use them as shields? You, you know, um, you guys killed kids in Waco and you killed kids at Ruby Ridge. So, you know, all bets are off, Jack. And that was his take on it. My thing is, do you, I think the way Timothy McVeigh was wired, yes, these two incidences led to the greatest act of terrorism outside of 9-11 and up until 9-11, the greatest act of terrorism in America. Yeah, it's the greatest act of domestic terrorism. Yes. However, the way that guy was wired, do you, I, I still think he would have done something. Do you think he would have done it as great? I don't know. But just the wiring in his system leads off. me to believe that he would have done he would have found another spark for the fire so timothy mcveigh and the oklahoma city bombings was an event where a man drove a truck full of fertilizer that was wired as an explosive and basically blew a federal building up if you if, if you're listening and never heard of this yeah blew an entire side of a federal building up in oklahoma city he killed like 160 people including like nine kids and injured more than another nine. 600 more than and a lot of was, maiming yeah a lot it was of an ugly ugly deal in fact if you go to oklahoma city now it's memorialized just like 9-11 it's yep. a big tragic night i was in seventh grade when that happened and i remember we had it up on the tvs because the, by the time i reached middle school yeah. we had tvs in our classrooms yep so, yeah, I remember, I remember seeing that. That was not good. Timothy McVeigh was, uh, the FBI has footage of him at Waco. Yeah, he was at the siege. He hung out there. He sold bumper stickers. He sold, um, I don't think he sold T-shirts, but essentially bumper stickers. He sold little trinkets. And he was little there. anti-government trinkets. And based on Ruby Ridge making him angry is what brought him to Waco. To see how what was going to go down at Waco. I want to kind of break apart before we get into the cult exactly, exactly how these things came to be. So <clears throat> now even though we're talking about the Branch Davidians and their religion and all of their things, um, do we go into that first? I mean, it's, this is very layered, so I hope yeah. you guys don't have trouble following along here. All right, so we'll give you an outline of the beliefs of the Branch Davidians, and we'll kind of lead you up up to 1992. I think the best way to tackle this is let's start with Ruby Ridge. Now, wanna, I want right. to bring into to point that Ruby Ridge is, is nothing to do with the cult per se. No, it doesn't have anything to do with the cult at all. And it doesn't uh, have anything to do with... Uh, David Koresh or Waco directly. It's not directly. directly. The reason it's important is because it set a stage for what would become years of trials and investigations and all of the things that pertain to Waco were affected by Ruby Ridge. So what was Ruby Ridge, Travis? There was a guy named Dennis Weaver and he lived in Iowa with his family, um, I believe it was Bonnie Weaver was the wife. Uh, we had Randy Weaver and Bonnie Weaver. Yes, Randy Weaver and Bonnie Weaver. And they had a family. They had a daughter and they had um, another one on the way. And they just decided this was in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. And they decided that the economy was going just crap. They were very religious. They believed in end of day type religion, Christianity, 
and they wanted to just break away. They lived in Iowa during the savings and loan scandal, so I imagine things were probably pretty shitty. Yes, and (laughs) I can't remember what his job was, but at his job, it wasn't looking good. And he, he wanted to get out. They wanted to just go start a life almost like a Thoreau-esque, if you will. Walden, if you've ever, you know, if you remember your history lessons, Walden um, by, by Thoreau, where you just go and you live off the land. And they find this property about in Idaho, about 50 miles south of the U.S.-Canadian border. If you think of Idaho, how it kind of like goes real skinny up towards the top. I mean, they were right there in the middle of that skinny part of Idaho. And they started a life on this place called Ruby Ridge. It was towards the top of a mountain. And they they built this cabin with their own with their own two hands, this family. And they raised their kids up there. They they home taught them. And they didn't do this just willy-nilly. They spent about one to two years in Iowa planning for this. How do we raise our kids without sending them to school? How do we, how do we feed ourselves? How do, we, how do we live off the land? Well, and Randy was no, no dummy. I mean, even he, though he was a factory worker, he was a U.S. Army combat engineer. So. He was an ex-Green Beret. Yeah, he was, uh, he was no dummy. Yes. So they go up there and they start their little idyllic life. Homeschooling the kids. Homeschooling yeah. the kids. They've got an old. They've got. They've got a daughter. They've got at this point, their oldest is a. They have a daughter, a son. They have two daughters, a son, and then later they eventually have a third, uh, a third daughter. And they're up there, and you know the guy. They collect weapons. They're always. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get to that. There were just these two problems. They like to collect weapons, and, and the wife believed in end of times. times. <laughs> <laughs> but they were. They were living their life. The kids, you know, I've seen interviews with the kids. They thought everything was. They loved it. They went. The one, you know, the daughters say, you know, my best friend was my brother and this and that. And it sounded like they were totally isolated. There were other people living around in that area that would come visit them. And, you know, they would make trips into town and shit like that. But they they pretty much were just isolated. They were, they were regular people in one respect. But in another respect, we're obviously putting their belief structure and everything that was going on with them personally under a magnifying glass. Right. And one of the reasons that this occurred is the, the, the dad ended up getting in a land dispute with his neighbor, Terry Kennison. It was like over $3,000 in land. Yeah. Ultimately, Weaver wins, and not only does he get the $3,000, but the guy ends up owing him a 20, another $2,100. So the guy gets super pissed off, right? And he starts writing letters, Kennison does, about Weaver. To the FBI, Secret Service, the sheriff, alleging Weaver had threatened to kill the Pope, the president. <laughs> like uh, this guy's a raving lunatic. The governor, I mean, he's telling them that, that this, this Randy Weaver guy's out of control. <laughs> so uh, by the mid-80s, the uh, FBI and Secret Star- Service start an investigation looking into both he and his wife. They were even interviewed by the FBI for several hours. I mean, so yeah. And now the reason that I keep in mind that the incident at Ruby Ridge happens in '92, based on a neighbor's accusations, this stuff starts happening in '85. '85. So we have seven years. Seven years, but from when they start getting hassled so, to the, the to, incident, we're going to conclude right. with. 
And so uh, to, to speed this story up, uh, basically they start getting uh, harassed by the government as they're researching these claims. Right. And as it's going on, he's getting more and more paranoid of the government. And now he's starting to see, he already wanted to separate. The family was already mm-hmm. taken out of society. So the, the government's messing around with a dude who already is like opting out. He's like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm opting out. And then so the government starts poking the hornet's nest a little bit more, riling it up. And then him, according to the daughter, he was a very inquisitive guy. He was just very much, hey, what's this about? What's that about? And up there in Idaho, they're not around too many people. So all of a sudden, what does he do? Okay, it's hard to paint him in a good light on this. She can't. He starts going to um, just basically these white supremacists, not rallies. I guess you would call them rallies. But the way they make it out is like it was like summer camp. Like you would go down there and there was barbecuing going on. And he didn't join the white supremacist groups. But he went there and he talked to them about kind of anti-government stuff, if you will. He talked to them about just different ideals. Property rights being high among Yes, high among issues. his issues. And while he was sort of intermingling with these people, an undercover ATF agent befriended him. Well, let me ask you this. You're in northern Idaho. I mean, you know, you're... You're not far from uh, the the bellows of Yellowstone. You're you're looking at the, the cascading mountains all around you. It's not like there's a huge diverse population there. There's maybe some Native Americans and some whites. Would, I mean, was this was a, a ripe area to be secluded? To right. I mean, this is where you ran when you wanted to no longer be in society. Right. So the was it. When your research, did you find that the uh, the Aryan Nation was something he ran into or something that he was trying to be a part of? I don't think he actively suck it out, like actively sought it out. I think it was just something that was there and curious, you know, in, the, in this case, curiosity kind of killed the cat. I think he did share some ideals with them. I thought he just associated with this dude. This, this like the, I thought he, he like knew a guy that was like more closely held to the to the Aryan nation, right? He, I don't know. I I think he did get involved with it a little bit. So you're like the information you read, Jim, was like pretty soft. From what I read, though, he was kind of a fucking loser. He wasn't like a. It, it is it's a, it's a very gray line with this guy because you have to think he does have the right to peacefully assemble with whoever he wants. Um, but I, he personally, though, I, mean, held I, to the fact I personally heard him say, if being racist is being proud of the race you are, then, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. See, so, and I have something highlighted here that says Weaver's told, Weaver told investigators that neither he nor Kumnik were members of the Aryan nation and described Kumnik as associated with the covenant sword and arm of the Lord. Right, religious stuff. So, <laughs> and I, I would agree with that. I don't think he 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 didn't join the Aryan Nation, but was immediately he, he was not a card carrying member. But he's being investigated as he's moved to this area. He's surrounded by Aryan Nation people. They think he's a, a whack job because the neighbors accused him of spitting out all this hate speak. Right, and then his neighbors are uh, apparently then he would kind of come back from these and some of his neighbors were like he was a great guy. 
man, when he started talking politics, it was like, okay, Randy, shut the fuck up. Randy, shut the fuck up. Okay, go home, Randy. If, if you're going to come over here and talk about this shit, go home. But he was still well-respected and well-liked within his community. Just he had what they can kind of consider just off-the-cuff sort of right-wing ideals and beliefs. Now, I should point out that uh, to put this all into kind of some uh, neat order, uh, he's moved out to uh, Idaho. He's uh, gotten in this land dispute. He is now being investigated by all these various branches because that's their job is to investigate any reports. And now he is, uh, you know, alleging I'm not part of these hate groups. I'm, I'm not this guy. However, we start to enter a little crazy. Yes. On uh, February 28th of 1985, Randy and his wife file an affidavit with the county courthouse alleging that their personal enemies were plotting to provoke the FBI into attacking and killing the Weaver family. Now, this is 1985. Uh, no, no, not far after that, a few months after letting that marinate, they decide to... Uh, Send a letter to President Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Claiming yeah. that the Weaver's enemies may have sent the president a threatening letter under a forged signature, <laughs> although no evidence of that letter ever surfaced. Well, they did like to, uh, they did like to uh, write letters. I know that that much. The wife specifically. She wrote some letters. But they're on the fucking radar, dude. <laughs> right. Like you start, you start sending letters to Secret Service. You're not low key, dude. Right. You're kind of provoking the, you know, the wrath. You get a letter saying, I'm uh, going to kill you. It's, it's not me. It's not Somebody me. else. Nah. That shit's forged. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> so eventually, so after going to these rallies, um, one of the undercover ATF guys convinces him to uh, saw the barrel off of a shotgun for him because he knows that this guy knows how to do it. Now, Randy Weaver wasn't in the business of fucking sawing off shotguns. This was just sort of something like a personal favor he did for a guy to make some extra scratch. Because, let's face it, up there, living on your own, I mean, you still do need some money. Well, some of the trapment bullshit. The first time this guy hangs out, he ends up at this, I don't know, Aryan Nation get-together or whatever. And an FBI informant who's checking into his buddy meets him. And claims, hey, he sold me two sawed-off shotguns. Yeah. And so at his very first thing, he meets this dude. Imagine years go by. Three years go by, and this guy's hanging out with him. Still. And and he sold some shotguns three years ago, and and what he said was, you know, legal. And then all of a sudden it comes out, hey, I'm a fucking undercover narc. There you go. And um, this is where Now, just to clarify, though. Sawing off shotguns was illegal at the time. I'm pretty sure it's still illegal now. Well, it was the. Uh, it's not illegal to saw off a shotgun. It's illegal how what the barrel length is. Okay. Basically, there's a there's a limit, and he went just underneath the barrel length, and this uh, this got the ATF a little excited. So you're saying he didn't measure twice before cutting? No, <laughs> no. Uh, it was. Uh, you know, they, I mean, I've we've got pages and pages of their you know, interactions with this agent, but to just quickly summarize and get to the, to the front of the line, they basically, the ATF corner Weaver and say, Hey, we want you 
to flip. We want you to be a narc. We yes. want you to go in and we want you to help us uncover all of the things, all the illegal profit and, you know, the infrastructure, the Aryan nation. And we was like, A, I'm not part of the Aryan nation. B, I didn't sell anybody sawed off shotguns. I just sold them shotguns. And C, I'm not going to be a federal informant. Right. I mean, that's just not going to happen. And D, go fuck yourself. So they <laughs> promptly fog out fucking charges against him. Yes. And they tell him he's going to lose his property, his money. He has to put up his mortgage as collateral. So if he loses his court case, he loses his house. He loses his property. Uh, it, it, this is... This is where we're going to kind of start to bring Waco into this just a little bit. I want you to remember this part of this case. So to this point, we have a guy who's loosely suspected of hanging out with a bad crowd, regardless of if you agree with the Aryan Nation. Our country, you can be part of that group. There's no law that says you can't belong to that group. Right. Now, the second you start doing violent things, you start breaking the law then okay. Yep. Different shit's happening. Then you're getting investigated. But if you're just assembling with a group of people and talking, isn't that the first, wait, is the first amendment the right to assemble? I would imagine that I don't know. Is that free speech? (laughs) I'd imagine. There's free speech, bare arms. One of them's the right to assembly. I don't remember the order. (laughs) I don't know, but you can do this. You can, unfortunately, I mean, that's part of the caveat. You know, that's one of the caveats of the system is you can talk about anything. That's one of the great things about, the system That's is right. you can talk about fucking everything, but then, and he's not even doing that at this point. This guy took his little family from Iowa, moved him to the boonies on the side of a mountain, met a couple of local hicks. Right. A couple of them are Aryan nation people. He gets, you know, he's literally got bad timing. He's already been on the right side of the law, winning a property rights case in which he gets defamed by a neighbor. Right. All right. Now there's a lot of rhetoric back and forth as to this guy was more evil than the picture I'm painting. There's a lot of people that say, actually, I might be a little harsh in, in, in my interpretation of what happened. But in any case, and this is where you and I may differ, once the federal government fi- lo- lobs accusations like this, would you say volleys accusations like yes. this, you have to, you are now in the system whether you want to be or not. Right. You have to answer court dates. You have yes. to answer paperwork. Yes. You've got to do the necessary things to prove your innocence. That is our due process and our legal structure. Not for this guy, Jack. So uh, so this is where I tend to disagree with him. He says, fuck you, and doesn't show up for his court date. Now, what was his primary purpose for saying, fuck you? Well, he didn't want to lose his house because he was afraid if he showed up and he didn't turn into a rat because their whole thing was... Okay, we're going to get guy one, and guy one's going to get us guys two through ten. And he didn't want to be that guy. So uh, there was a lot behind it. He just, but the main thing, the main, main thing, I think, really, was he didn't want to lose his house. Okay. I felt like he didn't want to lose his way of living. At this point, Randy Weaver has no criminal record whatsoever. Really? When they file the charges against him, uh, for not snitching, they allege he's also uh, a suspected bank robber. What? Which was later found to be complete horseshit. Just erroneous. Total bullshit. Yeah. So now we have the ATF with a guy selling illegal weapons who's a suspected bank robber, and this this action, this government 
action from the ATF is now going in front of judges in this language. And so they're saying, hey, we got this guy, blah, blah, blah. And although you're totally correct in thinking he's completely paranoid by this point, yeah. you know, he's now seeing, I'm fucking bank robber. What is the government doing? Yeah. You know, you can see you take somebody and you poke, you poke somebody who's either sick or doesn't agree or has a different point of view. And you say, hey, uh, by the way, we think you're this and that. And it's just pulled out of thin yeah. air. You're going to push him over the edge. Yeah. You take a guy that thinks that the boogeyman exists and you say, here's the boogeyman. What the fuck do you think he's going to do? Well stated. Yep. Yeah. Yep, you hide under the fucking bed. Yeah. So we, you're hiding under the bed, tapping on his bed, going, hey, boogeyman's down here. And this gets even shittier. And, and we could spend a few hours discussing this. Just Ruby Ridge alone. Yeah. yeah. But basically what happens from here is the guy gets sent, uh, uh, he, he gets appointed an attorney, and he doesn't answer the attorney. And in the uh, volley of paperwork sent between uh, the, uh, the federal courts and his attorney, uh, some of the court dates get shuffled around because of, uh, you know. In the end, it doesn't matter because he wasn't going anyway. A holiday or whatever. He was supposed to go on the 19th, and then they moved it to the 20th, and then somebody sent him a letter that said March 20th. Well, all of these things were given to the judge, and they're like, hey, we fucked up. We sent the wrong paperwork, blah, blah, blah. And according to Dahl, who works in courts in our county, Mm -hmm. she says that kind of thing happens all the time. You right. know, paperwork gets messed up, whatever. It's your responsibility as a citizen to call in and say, hey, I got this, I got this. What am I supposed to do? And if you don't do that, they'll do exactly what the federal government did. They issued a bench warrant for his failure to appear. Yes. And that, at that point, you've got U.S. Marshals. Yes. And their sole job, their job isn't to arrest you or anything. They, their job is just to get you to come to court, really. Yep. Get make, you to... Yeah. Make your appearance. Bring you to the bench. Yes. And so... uh now, the, the judge does issue a bench warrant, but they decide amongst themselves that they and the ATF are not going to uh, they uh, exercise just, it. Yeah, they, they just want to see if go. he'll show up. Hey, yeah. maybe he'll show up March 20th. This won't be any big deal. Well, and they let him go because it's in the middle of the fucking winter up there. Uh, how the fuck's this guy coming down? It's in the middle of the winter. They've already, you know... They've already harvested their crops. They're living off of what they had. They're very much bunkered in for the winter. And they let them go. And really, I, I've got a feeling like it would have kind of gone, just kind of gone away or worked itself out. But then a journalist writes an article, you know, the man that's defying the government. Somehow a local journalist gets a hold of this information and... Um, writes a story about it and then it hits the wire and it goes national and all of a sudden you got the atf you've got all these guys going okay this guy's making us look like an asshole well and they put it in a pretense that he had a large weapons cache yeah, that he had all of that these he's this madman yes yes you know this uh, bushman who's decided that he's going to have his own brand of law yeah yeah and uh, uh th- this gets so carried away that i mean we literally have uh uh a picture of this guy where he doesn't even want to leave his property. Right. He now believes that the government is after him. Yes. And it because apparently it becomes true because the ATF yeah. ignores what the judge says and they decide that they're going to bring him in early. Well, this was um, the marshals. The marshals were surveying the area the entire time. And because they were afraid to walk at this point, they're afraid to walk up to his doorstep and serve him a warrant. 
Apparently, they asked around the neighbors. You are they right. Said, He's correct. He's correct. The ATF was was they, going they to bring him in, but the marshal service wasn't informed that they weren't going to exercise it. They just got this, you know, due process. Right. Bench warrants come. Let's go yeah. get them. Right. And so they spend the, t- the entire time staking it out. Because they know he's got guns up there, and they're asking around the neighbors and such, like, hey, should we go up there? Like, wh- how do you think he'd react if we went up there and served him a bench warrant? <laughs> not good. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's not going to... He's, uh, he's, he, he, he. They just said that he was going to be... He was a fearful of the government. Yes. They, they didn't say he was going to kill anybody. They didn't say they were gonna sh- he was going to shoot up the joint or anything, but they just said, it's not going to be good. Um so the marshals are trying to devise a plan to catch him. And so they're staking out the house, figuring out, you know, they put cameras on the family where you could see into the fucking house. Which he was aware of, right? Like they were no, so, they, no. uh, well, I mean, from what I read, it was obvious that he was being surveilled and that to, to the family, they were like, all of a sudden there was this presence. Well, they knew that they knew that there was a presence, but they didn't know the extent that they were being surveyed. Like they didn't know that, you know, they were looking in on him like physically seeing what they were doing. Um, they, they just knew that they were being scouted. So the, 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 the marshals scouted them out for the winter into the summer. And then what we get into the summer, but, but they're unidentified, right? Like, just like you said, even though they're away, they're aware that there's surveillance, they aren't aware it's government surveillance. So as a response to all of this, all of this activity oh, by the marshals, yeah. they're all of a sudden taking defensive armed positions on the property. Like, what in the fuck is going on? Because they're already afraid. Well, they don't go anywhere without a gun. <laughs> um, that includes the kids, everyone. Everyone has a gun. And during this time, during this winter, actually, they have a, 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 a baby, which was that, that in itself is amazing. They delivered a baby up there with, like, you know, like, they did it old fucking school. So that brings us to about the summer where the marshals are starting to, okay, we're about ready to make our move. We've got, you know, we've got this idea of where we want, like, you know, we kind of want this to be a staging area. And so one morning, uh, the marshals, there's about six of them. It's night, actually. They go in the middle of the night. And they're going toward, um, they're going up. They hit, like, this Y because it's, you know, a ridge. And one team's going down low, sort of kind of get closer to the property, while the other team goes left and high to kind of oversee the property. And now they're not supposed to make contact at all. This is just surveillance still. They're just checking things out, and uh, one of the weaver's dogs catches wind of the... Um, a hot August night, yep. Of the... Decked um, out night vision, so they're, they're, they're not looking scary at all. No, no, no. <laughs> Full decked out camo. Yep. And so the dogs, the dog, this one dog specifically catches wind, and it goes taken off, and so Weaver... And then they had a guy, like a friend, kind of, he was, he kind of saw Weaver as like a father figure to him. He's about 23 year old guy. Well, the, 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 don't the, 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 eight, the, the marshals, don't they, they throw rocks at the dog to try to provoke the dog? No, no, no. It says, uh, Roderick threw two rocks at the Weaver cabin to test the reaction of the dogs. Oh, really? Reaction provoked the dogs and the Weaver's friend, Kevin Harris, and the Weaver's 14 year old son emerged and followed the dog. Okay, that's not what I heard. I just heard they were scouting. The dog caught wind. And so 
the the two that you just mentioned, the the son and the friend of the family, go taken off after the dog because they don't know, you know, like is it, you know, did it, they thought Weaver thought that it caught the scent of like a like a mountain lion or yep. something. A little further down the paragraph, you're right. They're not thinking, hey, ATF's throwing rocks. They're thinking dogs. Dogs taking off. Yeah, yeah there's. Let's there's, go get dinner. <laughs> basically, or let's you know let's protect ourselves here from a, a mountain cat. So they're running down the trail, and Weaver's kind of behind him. And he, um, and they get down to the, the dog gets to the marshals, and the marshals see the dog coming at them. They shoot the dog, at yep. least according to the Weavers. Right. They shoot the dog, and then the boy, the 14-year-old son, yells, you sons of bitches, you just shot my fucking dog, and apparently takes a pot shot at the marshals. We don't know really what happened, but we do know volleys of fire were exchanged, about 20 shots. And in that time, one of the marshals was hit and killed pretty much immediately. And then um, the son was shot in the, through the elbow and in the back, killed instantly. Now, during this time, Weaver kind of hears like something i can't remember what he said but i think he started he fired his shotgun in the air and yelled it's a trap you know get back to the house get back to the house and they get back to the house weaver gets back first and the wife's like hey what's going on what the hell happened da 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 and then eventually the uh friend of the family what was his name again uh harris harris Harris. harris gets back to the house and he's like your son's dead they just shot him. The dog's dead. Your the son's, son's dead. dead. Uh, and we killed, we killed somebody. We, yeah. yeah, we may have killed someone. Uh, wow. Yeah. And they were just out there scouting to kind of see how are we going to serve a bench warrant. Yes. And fucking people get wasted. Yes. So this creates obviously a standoff. Yes, because uh, they're, they're, they're bunkering in now. And so the mom, having that sort of maternal instinct, says, we got to go get the boy. We can't just leave his body out there. So they go out. Well, and they're not certain he's dead. They just know he's down. No, and they they know. I he, thought no, the friend no, was No, he's like, dead. He's dead. They know he's dead. What you saw, they know he's dead. They, okay. Yeah, they know he's dead. And so they go out there to get the body because, you know, they're religious and, you know, they want to make sure. So they bring the body back and put it in the shed. And this is all, I believe, night one. God, that would be brutal. Yeah, and so you've got your dead boy in the shed. And um, the next morning, Weaver was like, all right, I got to I I gotta go out, and I, I got to just see him one more time. I got to say goodbye to my son. You know, I want to see him one more time. Now, by this time, the government had brought in the ATF and this federal, then the FBI. Was it the FBI or the FBI and the ATF? The FBI, U.S. Marshals, the ATF, the Department of Justice, yeah, the United States Border Patrol—they're throwing the gamut at them. All of these, pe- all of these uh, people are there, and so they have snipers posted, and with specific orders. Somehow, I guess I don't know how it happened, but typically the rules of engagement are: do not engage. Unless you've been engaged upon. The natural rules of engagement, yeah. Yes. Well, they decided to throw that out the window. The judge who issued the rules of engagement made a special case 
and he said, you can fire upon anyone you see with a firearm. If someone walks out of that house with a gun, you can shoot them. You can shoot first, ask questions later. I have that right here. Go ahead. So it is the special ROE and sniper observer deployment. So uh, special rules of engagement were approved by the FBI for use on Ruby Ridge. So specifically for this. Yes. Uh, an announcement had been made. Deadly force could and should be used to neutralize the individual, any adult around or surrounding the cabin. If any adult male is observed with a weapon prior to the, uh, prior to the announcement of deadly force, you can shoot. So you don't have to tell them, hey, uh, hey I'm going to shoot you. You can Bang. just fucking waste them. Yes. Um, if compromised by any dog, you can kill the dog. So if a dog just starts barking and he's going to compromise your position, kill, kill the dog. It. Yep. Um, any subjects other than Randy Weaver, Vicki Weaver, and Kevin Harris presenting threat of death or egregious bodily harm, rules of deadly force apply. Deadly force can be utilized to prevent the death or grievous bodily injury to oneself or that of another. Uh, so basically anybody but Randy Weaver, Harris, and, and Deborah Weaver? Uh, it Wait, says any subjects other than... Did I call her Bonnie? That have presented, so, he, so they're saying that... Vicky, Randy, Vicky, and sorry, Kevin, Vicky. although they're the main people, if other people present any kind of thing, waste and them And the only other people at this point that they are now are their two, kids. two daughters and an infant daughter. Yes. Um, and, and when you read accounts from these people, the SWAT members and shit, they're all like, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Like, the, this is crazy. There was a specific unit from Colorado that flat out said, we're, no, no. The hostage rescue, what are they, the HRS, the FBI's yeah. uh, hostage the uh, negotiating rescue team. team. Yep. Res- yep. Yep. From Quantico. Quantico. We're, we're flown right out. Washington, D.C. Uh, sent the team from Quantico to Idaho. Special agent, agent in charge Eugene Glenn, the Salt Lake City FBI office, was appointed site commander. Yeah, yeah. That's an important little detail. Continue. So in the morning, he goes out to check on his boy, just, you know, say his goodbyes, and he gets to the shed, and he goes to open it. Bang! He's shot in the arm. Uh, The wife um, hears this. It was the... Actually, I'm sorry. Weaver was there with his one of his daughters and uh, Harris, and they were just going to go say final goodbyes. And bang! Weaver shot in the arm. Oh, and God, it's worse than that. That's worse than that. Uh, so he was shot in the back, and it exits its armpit. And uh, the purpose of his visit to the shed was to visit the body of his dead son. Yes, that's what I was saying, yes. Oh, God. Yeah, so he was going out to say his final goodbyes. And he gets shot. And the daughter was like, what just happened? He, he looked, he's like, I've been shot. And the wife comes out and opens the door. She's like, what's going on? They're like, he's been shot. She's like, get inside. Get inside. So everyone's running to get inside. And she's holding the door open. And Weaver gets in first. Then the daughter. And as the daughter's going past, another shot comes. The daughter just says she feels blood, brain, something splat. And she turns around. And it was her mom who had been shot. And killed instantly while holding the infant daughter. Now, the bullet went through her and then through Harris's arm, through his chest, 
and stopped about like a quarter of an inch from his heart. So it almost took out two people with one bullet, this sniper. So uh, ultimately, obviously, this is a shit show. Yes. But they negotiate the surrender of all of these, uh, you know, the, the, the friend, the dad. Well, yeah, eventually a um, former Green Beret colonel comes out, and he's about the only guy that um, Weaver will listen to. And now the weird thing is the whole time this is going on, in the mornings and stuff, the negotiators are specifically talking to Vicky, saying, Vicky, come out. We just made breakfast. Don't you want to feed the kids? We made pancakes. She's laying there dead on the floor. Super fucked up. They don't know that she's dead. And so they're just saying all this shit, and Weaver's like, how don't you know she's fucking dead? So it's pissing him off. And eventually... When it's not until the colonel, he allows the colonel, they allowed the colonel to go up to talk to him because he'll talk to the colonel. That's uh, when this colonel goes up and talks to him where Weaver's like, Vicky's dead. And he comes back out and uh, the FBI guy, when he's telling people about it. So we just found out, you know, that when they first told that the boy was dead, the locals erupted. It, it caused picketing. The locals erupted. They went fucking nuts. You know, fucking baby murderer, that kind of shit. And then when he was like, um, so uh, Weaver's been shot, but he's okay. Harris has been shot, but he's okay. And right after he says it, he's like, and Vicky Weaver's dead. And there was just this gap. Just You can see it in the interview. You, you can look it up and see it. And just there's this gasp, just... <gasps> And people get pissed. It was, well, not, let's talk about that for a second. I'll tell you how it all shakes out after we have a little convo about this, because this goes into Waco. You got to answer when the court sends you a letter. I don't care who you are. Yeah. You're never going to win that. Right. If paperwork comes to your house in our land, you have to answer it. Or the judge is going to say, somebody go get this guy. I want to talk to him. Yeah. Weaver doesn't do that. No. Okay. Could have avoided the whole thing. Now, although we have due process, which is uh, your rights as a citizen to be treated fair, and and it goes into your property rights and your personal rights and and how the courts can treat you and what you can expect from the courts, and, you know, that's basically a real elementary description of due process, but you got to answer. You can't just ignore it. Right. You can't, you can't play ostrich on this one. And even though you had, you know, the ATF talking to the judge and they're playing games with whether or not he's going to show up, once the, the paperwork, you know, the, these people, you can ask my wife. The forms come in, they end up in stack A, they move to stack B, and it's, you know, it's just an assembly line of this guy did this, or didn't show up for this, we're going to call these people and they go do this. So by the time the U.S. Marshals show up and this thing starts to get to where it's at, He's got to be answering mail and he's got to show up for court and he's got to, you know, when you're, when you start to see these things click, you can't just check out, especially yeah. when they're lobbying claims like huge weapons, caches, threats to, right. to you state. need to go and say, Hey, this, this is crazy. Is, this is crazy. Here's my side. Now where I do agree with you and where this comes into our next group is when you start adding things like you robbed banks 
Right. You start saying that there were these weapon cat caches that he uh, is a known he he's known to have uh, commiserated with all of these hate groups that uh, you know they're in of themselves are a, a little cult. Uh, you gotten way out, way out. Yeah, well, that isn't. That isn't part of the discussion. You don't modify laws that are in place just because you feel like they apply to this situation. Right. Do you agree with that? Yeah, we're on the same page. We're on the same page. We've been on the same page, even when it comes to answering the fucking court date. You know, he could have avoided the whole fucking thing. Now, U.S. Marshal gets shot and killed. And once you, I mean, once you kill a cop, it's it's, you know, you're in. You're in. So the friend, the Kevin Harris fellow and uh, Weaver, are both acquitted of all charges except for his failure to appear. Yes. Which ends up being time served. Yes. So in the end, the colonel's able to talk him down from the hill. Yep. They prayed on it. Well, first he told him, you know, I'm not, I'm going to testify you. uh, The colonel told him, I'm going to testify against you in court. I think his name's Grice or Greitz, Bo Greitz. And he says, I'm going to testify against you in court if you let that man die in there because dude was pretty fucked up. Yeah. You're talking I about mean, Randy Weaver being shot and not, well, he was talking to Randy Weaver about Harris. So that bullet, I mean, that fucked him up. I mean, a quarter of an inch from his heart. So Weaver was like, okay, we're surrendering Harris. So Harris gets out. Then like a couple days later, you know, it's getting go time. Um, government's done waiting around with this shit. They, um, they actually put up a little fucking, like, droid on their property to just see in there. And on that droid was a fucking shotgun pointed right at the front door. So, the, you know, they're thinking, like, well, what if we open that door? Is that droid going to fucking fire a blast at us? Yeah, I mean, mom's dead on the floor. Mom's dead on the floor. Was holding an infant you, at the time. Yeah, you shot her when she's holding an infant. Fuck. So they, they eventually... So, so eventually they do trust, you know, he's like, they're going to fucking come in there. And, they're, and he's like, well, we're prepared to die. And the guy, was, he was just like, are you fucking serious? And he was able to talk him down. So he talks him down. And essentially, yeah, they, because for all we know, it was the boy that shot the marshal. I don't know. Um, no, no, they, one, no one really knows. It's never said who shot the marshal. Well, they, they had, you know, they have rights. There's no trespassing. There's, yeah, uh, there's. The, and particularly the the land rights in Idaho aren't, you know, it's not, uh, hey, come on through. You know, they, yeah. they take that shit pretty serious. Yeah. So so they are able to get everything except for the, the violation of. Well, they go for all of it and they can't get convictions. Right. And ultimately, the only thing that sticks uh, through what ends up being years of trials is his failure to appear. Yes. But then uh, they, they file a $200 million uh, lawsuit against the government. The Weavers do. Yep. And the surviving members of the Weaver family yep. filed a wrongful death suit for $200 million. And, and they end up settling out of court in 1995. For about $3.1 million or something like that, um, or $3.3 The federal government awarded Randy Weaver $100,000 and his three daughters $1 million each. The government did so not. three point one. The family got three point one million. Yeah, the government did not admit to any wrongdoing in the deaths of Sammy and Vicky. On a condition of anonymity, a uh, Department of Justice official told the Washington Post that he believed the Weavers probably would have won the full amount if the case had gone to trial. 
Wow. So why? But then, but then again, it's typical of a lawyer to say that. Oh, I would have gotten you more. So this took place in uh, August of 92. This was all over the news. And then on the fall over the following few years, it was coming up, but it got not. E- yeah. But specifically at that time, there was very much the mistrust going on of the government. And this sort of leads us into Waco. And where do you start with Waco? You got to start with the axis. You got to start with the whole thing, this thing, uh, the, the, the central pillar that this whole thing evolved around. And that is David Koresh. Fucking loser. <laughs> Vernon Howell is actually his real name. Vernon Wayne Howell. Vernon Wayne Howell. Born in Houston, Texas, Tem- April 19th. Died. <laughs> yeah, he died. So, um, <laughs> tell me, uh, tell us, tell us a little bit about I this. That up. Okay, I lost where I was looking. At. Vernon Wayne Howell, born August seventeenth, nineteen fifty-nine, Houston, Texas. All right, so uh, let's uh, so walk us through the early life. Let's just take a just quick background into the life of Vernon. Wayne Howe. The well-adjusted life of Vernon Wayne Howe? Extremely well-adjusted. I mean, this, this guy's taking home a blue ribbon. Well, uh, now, Vernon Wayne Howe is not David Koresh yet. He's, that, his given name, as we've said, is Vernon Wayne Howe. And he was born to a 14-year-old single mom. I already got, wasn't Manson also born to something like that? Uh, you, uh, to a young mom? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, I don't know that she was 14, though, was she? Jesus I don't, Christ. I don't think she was 14, but... I was definitely still playing with toys at 14. 14? <laughs> yeah, I know. It was way into video games, and there were, like, those, you know, more complicated Lego sets. But let's face it, they were really toys. Okay. I was just getting into, like, into guitar at his, that age. His mom's already dating and motherhood. I mean, she's yeah. advanced. <laughs> Yeah, she uh, she rose to the ranks quickly. Apparently, she the tall girl in class. Right, right, right. <laughs> Definitely not the late bloomer. Goes after a twenty-year-old dude, gets knocked up, and he jams before uh, Vernon is even born. So I mean, already the guy's off to a shit start. And naturally, her being a kid as she is, by the time she's eighteen, she parks uh, she parks him with grandma and takes off for three years. Yeah, you know she's got a. Probably finish her growth and development. I mean, how many 14-year-olds do you know that are ready to I couldn't, enter I, motherhood? I would have been a fucking mess, wouldn't you? Oh, God, yeah. 14? I wouldn't have known what to do. You know, your, your folks were young, right? Did they have stories? They weren't of, that fucking young. How young were they? Um, my mom had just turned 18 about three weeks before I was born, and my dad turned 19 two days after I was born. So They were seniors in high school when they you know, got knocked up 23% more life. Don't, don't, than this don't, girl. Yeah. Don't make me think considerable of the, amount, the background of my uh, conception. So I could, no, uh, I wasn't going to go there, man. Yeah. What are you talking about? No, no, I'm about? already thinking about it. It's fucking in my head. Yeah. It was two high school kids around Valentine's day. Well, you know, uh, more power to them, but, yeah. but even them, you know, yeah. But imagine even them, them having years younger, that would have been crazy. And, yeah. Even them at the legal adult age, by the time they had me, I mean, it was rough on. They were divorced by the time I was four. You know, it was, they weren't ready for that shit. 
this this couldn't in Houston in 1959. I can't imagine that this is status quo. That this is happening frequently. That 14 year old girls are having kids. Well, I think um, when I was living in the Dallas area, they were I think one of the top three with um, underage underage pregnancy. <laughs> okay, I'm way off. I guess it's just, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just the way it is there. Yeah, I mean that's not a knock on Texas or that area or anything, but it's just <laughs> you know it's just kind of a fact. They start young down there. They really do. That's, that's I mean, progressive. Uh, if you ask me, I say personally too young, but that's that's my opinion. Well, I think we're off to a good start for a person to become a fanatic. Parents aren't around. Dad's never been around. Parked at grandma's house. You're in the middle of Texas. No offense, Texas, but I mean, it's kind of isolating in and of itself, <laughs> particularly in 1959. And by the time mommy comes back home, she brings with her uh, an alcoholic, violent boyfriend. Yes. Thank you for that, Mom. Yes, thank you. Apparently, he got thrashed at his own birthday party. Um, that's one of the stories he told, is how he got the shit beat out of him at his fucking birthday party. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not laughing, but come on. Yeah, you beats the shit out of a kid at his fucking birthday party. I mean, first of all, who beats the shit out of a kid? I mean, back then, it was more of a norm. Okay, so I'm willing to say, okay, <laughs> back then, that's the way people did things. Doesn't make it right. On their own birthday, though? But you beat the shit out of the kid. Like, you know, you didn't blow the candles out right, you son of a bitch. It's a fucking clock tower sniper Michael Myers training camp video. Yeah. It's just, I mean, you know, you feel bad for Vernon Wayne Howell, the kid. You kind of do. Never really learned to read. Uh, or at least didn't learn to read very well. He was very behind in that. He was dyslexic, didn't really, right? Yeah, didn't really learn how to write. Um, so he was just constantly just ripped on at school. I mean, you're constantly getting ripped on at school. You're getting the shit kicked out of you on your, you know, at your birthday party in front of everyone. You did some of the same research I did. It's hard, you know, because there's not, it's not like there's, libraries on this weirdo yeah so you kind of start running into the same information did you give any merit to the fact that he you know it says uh i think uh one website maybe it was wikipedia which already you know raises yeah. flags uh that he was gang raped at eight years old by a group of older boys did you i didn't come across that, did that outside of the wikipedia itself? no it didn't repeat itself outside hmm. of wiki so i don't really lend a lot of credit to that one maybe it happened i don't know maybe it didn't um we'll never know I mean, well, beaten by a drunk, raped by a bunch of other boys, beaten up on your birthday, dyslexic and in special education classes. We're not starting out strong. No. And so even we're moving into teenage years. He drops out in what? 11th grade. I think he dropped out in 11th grade. <laughs> you're that close. Why do you drop out? <laughs> right. like you're that close. The, what are you the, doing? The light is getting extremely huge at that tunnel. Yeah. I'm already not giving him a, a but, high marks here. Yeah, but I mean, he hates it. And the one thing that's kind of keeping him going through this is apparently he has this this gift of he really knows his shit in the Bible. He can read it and interpret it, and he has his own ways of interpreting it. Maybe people didn't... It's what keeps him going. It sounds like he's a schizophrenic. So he's, yeah, he's really reading into the Bible memorizing just swathes and chunks of it. Yes. So he's mentally ill. <laughs> it never says that anywhere, anywhere I've found that they've accused him of being mentally ill, but like 
reading and interpreting things like the Bible and then preaching it and making it your, you know, your, your whole identity is probably not. Well, he's at least maladjusted. Let's yeah, put it that way. I go with that. Yeah. I go with that. So when do things really start to fall off for him? Do we go with the fact that he allegedly, I, mean, I, haven't, I haven't heard anyone come out as David Koresh's or Vern Howell's son or daughter, but he apparently knocks a 15-year-old girl up when he's 22, right? Yeah. So I guess he kept hanging out with like around high school people even after he dropped out. And he was in a church, and he just, uh, according to him, he um, he gave in, is what he said. Uh, he gave a girl a ride home one day, and she took him into her bedroom, and he gave in. Like, he gave in to the temptation. He gave in to sin, because at that point, uh, he was described himself as an awkward religious kid who is still a virgin. Yeah, I'm feeling some real creeper vibe right now. And so... Like um, crazy creeper vibe. So he allows himself... To follow a 15-year-old girl into, into her bedroom. bedroom. And to essentially... To have to give in. And he and he gets her pregnant. Man, that's un- first of all, it's unlucky. <laughs> first swing you're, yeah, you're hitting a home run that's unlucky I, I actually knew a girl that happened to her it's kind of a bummer for him but at the same time total creep yeah uh 22 15 i mean you know it's a little weighted there well right when you start giving people rides home like that and then you're like how do you mean how do we yeah. go from okay we're here to i'll check out your room yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fucked up yeah and I mean, I don't know what the age of consent was back then in Texas. I know now it's, I looked it up because of this guy. So I'm getting going to get pinged again for a Google search I did, but. Um, <laughs> going to get pinged again. <laughs> Thanks, when life attacks. <laughs> and so, um, so I, I looked at, uh, I couldn't age find. Age of consent is? 17 currently in Texas. Okay. Now in as long as the person's like a teenager, I don't know. There's certain stipulate, but bottom line, age of consent, 17. And so the, um, I don't know what it was in 93. I tried to look up that stat, couldn't find it. So I don't, I don't know what the age of, but now in Texas, so we'll just use that as a barometer. The age of consent is 17. And uh, there are loopholes in that age of consent. Like as long as the boyfriend isn't more than four years older the girlfriend or the older party can't be more than four years the senior so if she's 16 he can't be older than 20 or something like that until it gets to 17 and then all bets are off once it gets to 17 all bets are off but when did that change did that change let's see if he's 22 added to 59 we're talking about 1971 what do you think probably that's 1981 Recheck your math. 59, 69, 70. You're right, 81. Excuse me. 81. Even then, what are we talking about? Dude. Oh, man. Never mind. I know who my parents were because I wasn't adopted. Man, 81. That's the year I was born, man. I I could be the secret Koresh child. I really doubt that. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, John and Lori are my parents. <laughs> no, like any 22-year-old kid who has sex one time and knocks a girl up, which I'm real, you know, vibing into her room and the ride home, I'm real skeptical of that whole story. Uh, he decides he's going to run and join the Southern Baptist Church. Because she denies him. She doesn't want him to be the father of the kid. 
and she pushes him away, and he swears that one day God told him, God told him, so God's already speaking to him. Bad sign. God's speaking to him, and God tells him that she's going to come back, that his first love, before he dies, his first love will come back to him. We all know that's not going to happen. No. And he never sees the kid again. He never sees her again. And that's that. And so he moves on. I like how he moves on. So he moves on to this church, and he decides to uh <laughs> is it that uh, it's kind of that hard to say right uh i just can't believe i'm reading this quite right uh so he he only, he joins the southern baptist church and then he joins his mom's church the seventh day adventist church which is essentially they believe in the armageddon babylon's coming seven seals uh it, it, we can get into that if, if it's you know, if it's important. Right. I mean, on. I'm just I'm giving you an outline of what they're about. The seventh. If you know day, what that means, great. If not, you can look it up. The Seventh Day Adventist Church is the church from which uh, Mr. Vernon uh, decides to branch off and become oh. who we will read about and talk about here later on in this. But so, so just remember that this is a core structure of the belief structure of the church. I almost eventually. feel like we're talking about Anakin Skywalker turning into Darth Vader <laughs> here. <laughs> it's, such, it's so fucked up. All these names and this bullshit is, we're, you know, we're going down a rabbit hole that you and I would just never ever tiptoe around. Like, no, you're the what church? You know, I get a thing. Uh, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you do your thing on Sundays. Oh, I, I, Football, football. <laughs> football. Oh, yeah, it's not football season, but I still hold it sacred. Well, and Baptist churches are a little bit more, you know, uppity than your regular Presbyterian church. There's They're hardcore. More, They're more hardcore. It's a lot more God loving than you know, yes. your your regular church. A lot more, a lot more fear of God too. Yeah, and he, um, so he a little leaves, more hellfire in that. He leaves that church, joins the Seventh Day Adventist Church, and it is there that he fell in love with the pastor's daughter. And while praying for guidance, uh, he allegedly uh, decided that uh, his the pastor's daughter was the one for him. Okay. Did God and tell him? Pastor didn't agree that God was talking <laughs> to him and uh, told him to stay away from the from my from my daughter. <laughs> stay the fuck away from my yeah. daughter, you perv. And uh, he didn't, so he got tossed. All right, as he should have. And uh, it is there where he joined a branch of that church called the uh, Branch Davidians. Yes. Uh, and not to be confused with the original Davidian seven-day Adventist group. So you can see that the, this troop sort of... The they sur- had factions. They had people Branching. leave it and use it the way they wanted to. Right. He joined one of those use-it-the-way-you-wanted-to kind of clubs Yeah. after not being able to successfully woo the pastor into allowing him to woo the daughter, okay. which they don't give us an age for. That's fine. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a bold move. Yeah. Bold strategy. <laughs> you, know, you join a church, you go to the pastor and go, look, look here's I know you think you're talking to God, <laughs> but he's really talking to me <laughs> and your daughter. We got to hook up. God told me. And he told me to tell you, by the way, <laughs> how do you refute that when you're a pastor? Um, no, he didn't. Can, can, <laughs> can you just? Can uh, you? T- I mean, you you're like preaching God, yeah. you know, you're the God sermon. stuff, and then this guy. Okay, pretend you're Vernon. I'm the pastor. Approach me about it. We've been doing a lot of praying lately. Yeah, that's good. That's good. 
and the, the lights touch me. Really, my what? What do they say, my son? <laughs> really, I don't know. Anyway, really, what 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 did the Lord tell you? What what, what did he he tell you in, in your heart of hearts? I, you know, I was glancing at you know the the good book, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Amen. It kind of in a not so direct way told me I should hook up with your daughter. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. He spoke to me. Is he speaking to you? Is God speaking to you, Mr. Pastor? The Lord speaks to us all, and he speaks to us all in mysterious ways. So then how can you divine, d- you know, d- d- deny me this, this divine right, this, this, this essence, this echo? I mean, you, you, isn't this an honor? God has said, I should hook up with your daughter. I'm going to go get my shotgun, you prick. <sighs> well, I'm leaving. <laughs> Good. <laughs> that pretty much is how I think that went. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Might have been more violent, though. You think? Yeah. You think, you think Pastor, like, uh, like, had to give him the physical toss? I feel like he was probably like, don't talk to my daughter. And then uh, uh, she weasels over to the daughter like, this is what this is what's going to go down. <laughs> and he's like, get the fuck okay, out of um, here. Yeah, get the fuck away Weirdo. from Weirdo. Yeah. This is a for-profit operation, <laughs> not a for-my-daughter operation. <laughs> We'll get it. I, I just got us some email. <laughs> get a little email over that. You're welcome. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, is, that, is that kind of our first act of, uh, is that our first kind of Vernon Howell act, our first David Koresh act? Like action? No, I think the first act, well, the first action was him giving in with the 15-year-old. I think that was sort of the first action. But this, I think this would be the first bold. First, the first stage of this build-up to him, Waco. Are we, are we covering the first one adequately, you think? Yeah, we're getting there here. Uh, so he goes off, and he, uh, he, joins, he joins the branch, which is led by, like, a 70-year-old woman named uh, Lois Roden. Her husband's passed, and he seduces her. Oh, so he goes from 15 to 70. Yeah. yeah. Boy doesn't discriminate, I yeah. guess. He's got I, range. He's got some, yeah. He's got some range. He's got, yeah, he's got a uh, wide how, range of spectrum uh, here. How old is he this time? Is he 82? He's got, uh, 82. He's 23, and he hooks up with a 70-year-old. Yeah. I don't know if I could do that. And he's thinking, like, you know, he's starting to think that he's the Lamb of God, and he's going to have to spread his seed. What the fuck's wrong with her hooking up? Well, I mean, kind of good for so, her. Okay. It's Hugh Hefner, so, you're rooting, right? So you don't want to be sexist. Like, way to go. Right, right, right. So good for her. You yeah. know, she gets a young slice. Um, He's a creep, though. Look at his picture. He's just a creep. <laughs> She's gross. Yeah. And wasn't he a failed musician at some point, too? <laughs> I don't know. He was definitely music plays a part in this. It always the, does. Yes. Yes, it does. And so um, Lois basically is in charge. Basically, she is in charge. And her son is sort of this fuck-up named George. And she sees him. He, he should be next in line to become prophet. But George is fucking crazy. So, George, you can't be prophet. And David Koresh sees his window of opportunity, so he woos himself to her. And she makes him her understudy. Are these guys roughly the same age, you think? Uh, her yeah. son's maybe 
Probably a little older, I think. So let's say son's 35. Yeah. Okay. I don't know 40, how maybe. old dude is. Yeah, let's see here. And George. he sees this 23-year-old dude banging his mom. and then all George sudden, Roden was born in 38. 45? So, so 38. 47? 40, yeah, he's about in his mid-40s right so now. He's 47. So this dude this. that's young enough to be his kid going after mama. And, and successfully hitting mom. And yes. And yes. then mom's like, look. 47-year-old disappointment. <laughs> this slice here, that's the prophet. This is it. This We found, yeah, he's, he's going to be the prophet. And uh, so Crazy Son doesn't really like that. <laughs> and uh, On any level. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm quite certain I can speak for him. He doesn't like it on any level. And so um, dude's giving these sermons, and people were eating it up because he's sort of coming across as the... Um, not the dirty Messiah, the, 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 not the broken Messiah, but he's been there, right? So he can look to this, this gathering of people and say, hey, man, I've been there, man. I, I drank, you know, I understand the sinful Messiah is what they called him. And I've, I knocked up a girl. I've got, I've got a, a kid out there. I've got a bastard baby out there. I get it, man. I get sin. And so people would hear him talking this, and they would say, holy shit, man, finally, someone in the trenches with us, someone that gets in and that can help us work through it, because he's been through the shit, and he came out all right. So, you know, fuck you, guy, preaching on a high tower to me, telling me how to be, and you've never fucking seen this before. You know, this guy's been in combat. He knows. Fuck yeah, I'm getting on board. So that's how he kind of, that's how he starts collecting some favoritism however goes to his head a bit and he decides that he's going to take on a wife and Lois Roden kind of already thinks like hey me you 70 year old wants to keep her slice yes yeah and so he understandable t- and so he tells the father of this 14 year old oh did I mention she was 14 <laughs> one more time she's 14 thank you and he's how old now? Early, mid-20s. Oh, no, he's 23 the last 23 time we checked the temperature. So he's 23, 24. Yeah. Now, okay, nine years age difference is okay when we're talking 35, 26. Not 23, 14. <laughs> um, ah, good times. Yes, yes. Yeah, we do. We do. Uh, we You're have pushing good times. 14. Yeah. You're pushing it to 14. You're pushing it to 14. Fuck. So the... Um, so, the, so he, this is not funny. So he, <laughs> it is funny because like who, you know, eventually people follow this fuck up. So it's funny. Yeah. So he tells the dad, you know, I'm the lamb of God and to deny the lamb of God, anything he wants, be it a peanut butter sandwich or a 14 year old is your daughter. Yeah. Your 14 year old daughter, um, is a sin big, big time. So you don't tell the lamb of God. No. And so for this father, this is an, it's an honor. And so he tells the, you know, hey, you're going to marry him tonight, and that's going to be that. And she willingly agrees, you know, she's brought up on this, so she's, yeah. And he needs to have kids. He needs to start procreating. In your research, when you saw this girl and her dad painted, were they poor? Um, class really didn't come into it because they were all kind of the same class. They were all 
So this girl living, they living, were part of living in Mar- Mount Carmel, just trying to make things. Okay, happen. so they this were is awful. a fellow like follower yeah. believer. Yes, yes. So um, yes, poor. Yes, and completely and totally absorbed into this culture, thinking, "Oh yeah, totally. This is an honor. This is an honor." And so he marries fourteen-year-old girl, and uh, Lois Roden, seventy-year-old woman, does not like this. Which, you know, again, makes sense yeah. on many levels. And since mommy's displeased, George now has his fucking in, kick them the fuck out. And he does. He kicks out Vernon Howe and his followers. Vernon Howe is David Crush, by the way. Yes. And they go to a place called Palestine. And they set up sort of like a little tent There's city. There's that name again. Never, you never say that name with like, oh, hey. Oh, that's great. Let's check out Palestine. Sounds great. <laughs> it's never good. No. Um, stay the fuck away from Palestine. Yeah, it's always bad. It's so never, he, never a good trip. So he gets to Palestine. And they set up their camp. And they're just sort of biding their time. And in the meantime, he's sort of taking on other women. Because Lamb of God, man, got to spread seed. He's supposed to have 40, 20, 24 children. Do a lot of people break off with him at this time when he gets bounced for marrying mm, this girl? Or is no, it like just no. a handful? No, no one really, no. At this point, they're more united than they've ever been. Um, they follow him willingly, the majority of the group. They get kicked off, and yeah. they. I don't know if they follow him willingly. I mean... They don't know any better. You know, they got to go with their leader. Well, tw- and it, they says got bounced. Cor- it says 25 of his followers yeah. in 1985. So I mean, he's, let's think about it. It really, we're not talking about a large group here of people. We're not talking thousands of people in this church. I mean, we're talking a couple hundred at best. Well, tw- the fact that 25 people followed him after marrying a 14 year old at 25 years old is. Pretty amazing, yeah. really. Now, one of the survivors said, you know, at that time, it was kind of an exciting time because, like, it really did feel, because keep in mind, at the root of their religion is the apocalypse. And she was like, it really felt like we were living in apocalyptic times. We were out in the woods and tents and RVs. I mean, shit just seemed crazy and, like, it was about to go down. And inevitably, um, it would within that sect because mama dies, in 87. They get bouncing about it around 84. And three years later, Mama dies. Mama Roden dies. And so Koresh sees his opportunity to get back into Mount Carmel. And so, and Mount Carmel is their stronghold. That's um, what they would later dub the um, compound. And they go, basically they stage, not like really a raid, but basically, uh, Koresh comes back to Roden, who's now taken over, George, crazy George, and said, all right, motherfucker, mama's dead. She's not around to, you know, protect you anymore. I'm coming back for this shit. Well, crazy George has this great idea. We're going to see who really is the fucking king here, man. Who is the true prophet? So he digs up a fucking corpse of one of their members, and he challenges Koresh... Do you remember this? What does he challenge him to? It's a uh, resurrection off. A resurrection off. Say that 10 times fast without (laughs) saying it wrong. Or giggling. (laughs) (laughs) So so he challenges him straight up to a resurrection off. It's like a porno. We've got, I know, like a necro porno. 
Just have a resurrection off. Mm. Yeah. I have a headache. Yeah, I'm just... Uh, and that's essentially what Vernon Howell does. Because he knows, I think as a just a fucking person, he's got to know, I'm not going to reanimate this corpse and like make a dance, like stand up in its coffin and do a dance. It's not going to happen. So he... Um, calls the cops on road and says, hey, man, you've got a fucking corpse digger here. Do something about it. And the cops say, well, where's the proof? We're not going to just go out there because you said some guy, you know, we know you guys have beef. So where's the fucking proof? Which is in sharp contrast to the rest of our story because proof really isn't in the authorities' best interest through most of the remaining remainder of the story. Yeah. And remember the prelude to this story. That proof, Where was again, was, you know, a, a, a loose definition proof. <laughs> yes. So in this case, they want the proof when it comes to actual crime of fucking corpse. Uh, you can't call it grave robbing, but. That's illegally exhuming a corpse. Illegally exhuming. Thank you. So how and seven people decide that they're going to fucking. <laughs> they're going to infiltrate Mount Carmel. And they go in there and they're going to infiltrate and they're going to take pictures of this fucking corpse this guy just fucking dug up. And they go in there, and um, George gets wind of it. And uh, what do you? What was his first reaction? Grabs his motherfucking Uzi. Twenty minutes later, how do they, I don't, this is a fucking church, man? Why are there Uzis just lying around? Because remember, the end of days are coming. You got to be ready for that shit. Wrong weapon for that. Yeah, and Uzi. Yeah, They're not accurate. No, no, it's just a fucking just point and spray and hope that it hits yeah, something. It's a bad deal. It's a bad, you could just see how that gun came into his possession. It was like a series of just bad, bad, bad calls. calls. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, the Uzi, it was popular in the 80s. For whatever reason, the Uzi was very sexy in Miami the Miami Vice. Yeah. Compact, all those, yeah. yeah. Stallone movies, Schwarzenegger movies, Chuck Norris Schwarzenegger, movies. Schwarzenegger, yeah. Yeah, yeah Chuck Norris dual wielding the Uzis. But looking back, it's like inadequate. Like oh, not not a good gun. It's not bad at call. All. Totally bad call. <clears throat> anyway, regardless, he grabs the Uzi and they're going at it. So twenty minutes later, cops get a fucking phone call. There's a firefight going on at Mount Carmel. Now this road asshole doesn't he take a hit? He gets he gets shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. He um yeah he takes one. It doesn't say where Roden got hit, but he he takes a bullet. And uh, the cops are able to talk uh, Vernon Howe down. And, um, and, you know, he surrenders. So, so that's within his, you know, he's, he's been talked down and he has surrendered. Let's keep that in mind for later in the show. So he's been talked down. He's surrendered. Yep. He gets taken into custody. Uh, the media dubbed them the Rodenville eight, him and his seven buddies. Well, well, how bizarre to go with cameras yet armed to get pictures of a corpse and end up in a gunfight on someone else's property. I really don't know how this dude got off. Because <laughs> they get acquitted of a seven, get acquitted, and he, he's a mistrial. Yeah, and, hung jury, hung jury, and they just sort of... Hung how? You fucking broke onto property that wasn't yours, armed. Well, maybe, yeah, fuck him, man. He was shooting up a corpse de- desecrator. I don't know. I don't know how, but there's a hung jury. He should be, based on this interaction with the law, he should be pretty compliant. Shit's working out. Right. You or I do this, we're never heard from again. <laughs> right, right. We're going away. 
for a while. We're going into the cuckoo. Any now. of several things this fucking guy has done, whether it's you know dating kids or or uh, you know shaking down uh, religious groups or uh, you know breaking and entering armed and shooting people. I mean, how do they, how do you get away with this shit? Yeah. So he's got to be feeling pretty good and cocky, right, when he gets out of jail. And good during old Vern. and good old Vern. And the whole time, though, uh, while they're awaiting trial, um, you think Roden would just go in and comply with the cops, right, and comply with the court to help put this guy away that uh, broke an entering on his house? Oh, not Roden. He goes and he threatens the court with STDs and all kinds of shit. Um, and so he gets put in contempt of court for foul language. He wanted, he, but those threats were: if this guy doesn't go to prison, prison. for what he did, I'm going to give bring hell down on this court. Yeah, I'm giving all you fuckers STDs. What's the judge? Probably yeah. like contempt. Lock the right. fucking lunatic up. AIDS for you, herpes for you, chlamydia for you, gonorrhea. And so, yeah, they lock him away. <laughs> it doesn't go over well. Not too well. It's not a good court. No, nobody really posture. likes. No, nobody really likes to be told that uh, they're going to be given an STD. Specifically, probably judges. Anybody really? I don't know too many people that would line up for that. Now, to this point, if I could interrupt you for a moment, Vern, uh, who is also David Koresh. If you haven't picked up that Vern Howell is David Koresh, we keep calling him Vern because at this time he's not legally changed his name to David Koresh. Right. This is Vern. He, uh, his little uh, commune in Palestine, Texas, that went from 25 followers, balloons up. He uh, brings people in from, uh, let me get all of the various uh, places all these people poured in from, uh, the United Kingdom, uh, Australia, where I just lost my place here, United Kingdom, Israel, and Australia. Yes. Is where a whole bunch of people come and join this uh, Branch Davidian group that, yeah, that, he's that able left to Mount Carmel. Yeah. Even though they're living in pretty much basic it's poverty. You know, they're living in yeah. tent cities, or, yeah, no trailers. shelter. Yeah, they're, um, and it's weird, too. Uh, just some of the ones that I read about, the um, Peter Gent family, Gent Gent, uh, I believe it's Gent, uh, Australian family, Oh, he got them. I mean, he was seducing the daughter the whole time, and they still came over. Doesn't that blow your mind? Yeah. Now, eventually, the parents left. So they were like, wait a minute. Fuck you after a while. This is a little later down the road. We're just here so you can bang my daughter? We're out of here. <laughs> We're out of here. But the brother stayed. <laughs> the brother's like, I never really get along with her, so I'm good. As long I'm as there's good. three yeah, hots and yeah. a cat, I'm good. <laughs> so... <clears throat> um, so then during this how time... Does he, uh, before, you, before you go forward, how does he work out? Because during this time, before he gets up there and robs a place, he somehow ends up in Israel because he, he thought he was going to be martyred yeah, in Israel I, and all yeah, of this stuff. Yeah, I have stuff. no clue how If everybody's poor, how do you send him well, on I know, an international I think trip? I, wait, is he doing the missions at this point or doesn't he do the missions once he takes over? Nope, nope. This is, they haven't gone back to Mount Carmel yet. He yeah, is, that, oh, he sends videos out and stuff. I remember <laughs> I saw one of the videos because they're like... You know, all the Branch Davidians are kind of smiling like, hey, say something to the camera. And, like, the one guy. Um, I'm poor as shit in the middle of nowhere. He was just <laughs> like, hi, Australia. <laughs> like, I think you guys say hi out there. Um, he, hi. He's even, and so they're sending videos to Australia and this and that. 
Well, he's even touring. It says uh, his band's playing in clubs in Waco. And yeah, yeah. And so he's, he's in a band. He's using music to recruit fellow followers, which would be an immediate, you know me. I'm like, uh, live music, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's even trying to pursue his own record label. Yeah. I mean, he's doing all of this from a mud field in the middle of Palestine, Texas. Yeah. Like nothing. Yeah. There's nothing. Yeah. Wasn't there a Disney movie that involved Palestine, Texas? Is it, was it a football team or was it a... You got Which me one on was that. any given? Was it the rookie? Yeah, I don't know. One of them was a sports the something out of Palestine. You I wonder me. if he was part of that... Uh, uh, not part of the movie, but part of that area. <laughs> if he was around at that time. <laughs> yeah, like they just you just see just Koresh make this... Ca- or I mean, Vernon Howell make this kind of... Just peek in behind, like, you know, the dugout or something. All of a sudden, he's the Cameo. <laughs> yeah. You're out of here. All of a sudden, the ump pulls <laughs> off the mats. You're out of here. <laughs> Resurrection. It would, it would change my opinion of some of those movies if that were the case. Uh, yeah. To be honest, that would be kind of badass. Okay. So <laughs> so he's playing in these bands. And, and the thing is, like, have you actually listened to his music? It was bad. It reminded me of something that, like, Trey Parker and Matt Stone would, like, um, lampoon. Should we play it for him at the end? I could remove the usual movie stinger and play some Koresh Jam. I think we should play him some Koresh Jam. All right. So those it definitely that, sounds like it came from like a 1980s movie. Yeah. If you listen past uh, uh, Imogen, you know, send us out with our social media stuff. We usually have a stinger after that uh, movie quote, something that pertains to the show. This week we will start with music and end with music. And I, I will put a little of David's jam in there. It is. We're going to play the whole song? We're going to play the whole song. Yeah, it's a fucking got, train wreck. You got to hear this whole it's song. It's horrible. There's a madman living in Waco. <sighs> you <laughs> made it worse. You made it worse. You, weren't, you, you, were, you might have had better key than he, though. <clears throat> so once this whole trial goes down and he gets off, where do we go from there? So during the interim, um, fucking fuck fate. Oh, fuck uh, George Roden, Crazy George, uh, murders another Branch Davidian with a fucking axe. This is the guy that's already been held in contempt of court. Yeah, that threatened STDs on a court. He, uh, he just... Okay, just, it's coming just, back to me. Yep, and he's like, he, he doesn't even have to do big boy prison. They're like, you're fucking crazy. Yes. Time for the mental hospital. Yeah. Um, the dude visited him to just discuss a vision of being God's chosen Messiah, apparently, that he murdered. He had a vision of being God's chosen Messiah. He was like, fuck you, you are, and was, went straight up frailty on him and took the axe to him. Uh, uh, he goes up to Adar, was his name? Yeah. Goes up to yeah. Rod and he's like, I'm pretty sure I'm the next true Messiah. <laughs> his reaction's to take a fucking axe to his skull. Just, yeah, just axe to the brain. Like... <laughs> Chill out, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Chill the fuck out. <laughs> Maybe just take him for a night on the town, get him drunk as fuck, and then have you ever had the hangover where it feels like there's an axe in your brain? Just give him a terrible hangover like that. That's putting a metaphorical axe in his brain. Again, you're following this rodent guy. You see him <laughs> waste a fellow parishioner who's like, hey, uh, I think I might have a shot here. It was, he's like, absolutely <laughs> not, and murders him. Doesn't everybody like kind of sober up like... What are we doing with what our fucking the fuck? lives? Yeah, what the fuck? I mean, this then again, maybe, but maybe it was sort of like, um, remember in the Transformers movie where Starscream decides he's going to become the fucking, uh, the fucking leader of the, 
of the fucking uh, Decepticons. I don't need Megatron. I'm on this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what happens to Starscream? Yeah, he doesn't make it. Yeah, not too good. He gets like incinerated, doesn't he? They was so power hungry in those films. Yeah, but I mean, this is all. I mean, it's real life though, where this is a you know. You would think like this is stuff that happened in a fucking movie. It brings us back. This to is real life. Cult culture. These people will just they 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 don't care. They don't care if it's true or not. They want to be taken care of. They want to be part of this group. They want to belong. And they'll just poo-poo any evidence that they're fucking nuts and that they shouldn't be here just to remain. Well, they'll twist it. They'll say, okay, well, there's this scripture in the Bible, and here's how it twists to what you are and what you're doing to us, and therefore you're the evil one. They'll just twist the words. And Koresh, or Vernon Howe, was a master of this. So... Dude gets hauled off to this, the loony bin. And uh, Howell's like, this is it, man. This is a golden opportunity. So they raise the money to pay off the back taxes on Mount Carmel. He is in. He has implanted himself. He is now the Messiah or the, the, the prophet, the Lamb of God. He's in. And no one's getting him the fuck out now. And his, one of the first things he does... When he gets in is he, um, he passes a, uh, a, 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 I don't know if you call it a rule or a law, but, uh, or a teaching that he calls the new light. Do you remember new light? What new light's about? I'm just shaking my head. You go ahead with this. I, I feel like you, I feel like you, you can carry the banner here. <laughs> so new light. It's a bold move. This is very bold move. <laughs> it's, a bold, it's a bold move once you get the, the cruise digs back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just reclaimed everything, and the first thing he does is creates this new light rule that nulls and voids the marriage of everyone in the church. Or what would you call it? The sect, the community. I mean, the, we'll cult. Call it the cult. The cult. We'll just say community. For no, fuck them. Fuck them. Fuck them. It's okay. a cult. So all marriages are null and void, and God has spoken to them. Convenient, very convenient, although not, it's proven through the story not to be good to have God talk to you, but okay. And the men are to remain celibate. However, him being the lamb of God needs to spread his seed, and he needs to have, as being this prophet, he needs to have 24 children uh, through uh, a plethora of wives. I think he said he was entitled to 24 or 48 or uh, go higher. Was it? Was it higher? I think it, I believe it was higher. I think I think we Smart. I think it was 141. <laughs> I need 141 wives. Um, you will be the first 24. Yes, and uh, I need 24 kids and these kids are very crucial to him. So let me get this straight. He, all the marriages are null and void. Yes. So he's like, "Hey, you guys aren't married anymore. She's now married to me. What's dude supposed to do?" Take it. Is he just supposed to be He's celibate? celibate? He's celibate now. And so, so the this, husbands so they, are celibate, and yeah. the wives now belong to David. Yes, and this is where we start losing that people. That is a fucking cult. Yes. And that's, this is when we start losing people. People that have been Branch Davidians that were born into it, they start leaving. One girl specifically um, in one of the docs that I watched said he came up to her and told her, like just started groping her in front of the husband, 
and said, you're going to be my wife. She said, no, you're, no, I'm not. It's that creepy vibe. Yeah. Creeper vibe. Yep. Right in front of the fucking husband, right in front of her husband who she loves. And he's like, <laughs> like I really get into right in front of him, right in front of the <laughs> fucking piece of shit, fucking asshole. You know, I'm sorry if someone did that to your wife, wouldn't you be a little pissed? And if someone say it was the opposite, say it was a woman that came up and did, don't you think your wife would be pissed? Well, uh, you know, so anyway, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of moving parts here, Travis. Oh, okay. Okay. So, well, she I mean, gets he, pissed. He, he's well, seen the light. So, you know, <laughs> consequently I've seen the light. Maybe it's okay. Well, hubby gets pissed. Wife gets pissed and they jam. They jam. Uh, he basically, he tells, she tells him if you fucking touch me, I am going to turn your ass in for rape. I'm going to turn you in for all kinds of fucking shit. And so he's like, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. She's like, well, why? And he's like, you'll see. You'll see. So she doesn't go into it, but she basically says over the next couple of weeks, he made their lives a living hell. Um, and she started seeing hypocrisies within him. On holy days, you're not supposed to eat. Well, the Lamb of God wants a fucking ice cream. Lamb of God gets to have some fucking ice cream. And so he'd be eating during, you know, and if you question him, don't cross. Don't 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 speak up. I've yeah. got this covered. Yeah. Don't don't speak up to I'm, the Lamb. Of, yeah. Voice of God over here. Just listen to me. Yeah. So you get put to fucking work. You get shamed if you fucking speak up. You just got landscaping duty. Yeah. Yep. See that big water tower? You're gonna go fucking scrape it. So he. Um, so they quit, and a lot of them quit. Naturally, which is what you would do if someone was going to take on your wife just arbitrarily. Right. And so, and then, you know, he's also putting on little rock shows for, for these people. God, he's just pissed at the rock show. Like, he's just nailed your wife. And you're like, you think you're so cute, don't you? Yeah. And he's sitting there in one of the videos I saw playing his acoustic guitar, playing Madman in Waco. There's a madman living in Waco. And these girls are just like, just getting into it. Like, oh, preach the truth. Preach the fucking truth. So gross. And he's, uh, he's, he's it, was it your expression that grossed me out? He's living it up. He's living it. I mean, he's, he's a fucking rock star to these people. And so you're painting. So, and so, a, so he's getting these women, a Hare Krishna, a very weird thing going on here. You painted a picture. Yes. And so you get it. And so he starts going with these women so he can have his 24 children, which are crucial. These 24 children are essentially going to be the judges of men. They're going to take on that role. They're critical. Super can't be overstated how critical <laughs> these children are. He's making this bullshit up as he goes, might we add. Right. So the reason so, we're, we're going into this at this level is we're trying to give you a mood of what's going on here. He's basically taken over their families. They all live in this new... Uh, Mount Carmel building. He's uh, ripping down all the other structures to make this big, large, like communal home. Mm-hmm. He's separated the families, the husbands and the wives. He's made all of the wives not only his yep, men spouse, and women. Yep, men and women live separate now. But those kids are part of his. Now he's those are now his kids. With them, yep. which everything's real weird, and so that's like kind of the the culture going on. Yes, at this his place. number two, his his top lieutenant gives up his wife. And, uh, and it's at this time that he changes his name around this time. He starts putting in, change his name, 
around 92, because all this is happening between 89 and like 92, 93. And even his top lieutenant, Stephen Schneider, puts in a, um, like his wife, his wife, Koresh just is like, okay, nope, even you, my number one follower, my most trusted confidant, I'm even taking your wife. And he has a, has a kid with her. I can't imagine that that would go over well. Yeah, like you're, you're my buddy. You, I've been through you. I've been with you through thick and thin. And he just, uh, when they're on the camera, him, dude's wife, and uh, the kid that they just had, guess who's filming it? Fucking dude. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is it a loyal friend? Is it just a, a, I don't even know what to say. I mean, I, I can't even imagine that type of, uh, yeah. I mean, what's the next day like? Some sort of big chill moment, and it's weird. <laughs> right. But the group is essentially uh, pulling money in because the, the begging in this part of Texas isn't going to go over very well. So they start basically selling selling guns. They are selling semi-automatic. Are they resellers? Are they are they building guns? What are they doing? Like they're just sort of like buying parts um, and selling parts and assembling guns, and they're also stockpiling their own munitions. Um, and they're just traveling gun shows, and you know they're making money that way. Um, <laughs> they're just uh, you they're know just uh, it's an honest trade. <laughs> Well, it's it's a, it's alleged that they're although all of their paperwork is in order. So, <clears throat> what's important? Excuse me. What's important here is that they start a company called Magbag, and it it, it is a, a gun parts supplier. So they're bringing in bulk parts from all over the world, assembling guns and reselling them. And all of their all of their paperwork is in order. Everything's in line. Everything is just by the letter of the law. Yep, they're not making automatic weapons. Uh, they're specifically making semi-automatic weapons because they, you know, th- you think like Koresh, though at this point he's changed his name. He's now Koresh. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't want the heat of the law on him. He's not stupid in that extent. He knows he's got a good thing going for himself. So he's kind of keeping... Because only like three or four people can sign off on these parts when they come. And one of them's Fada, one of them's uh, Schneider, the guy whose wife he banged, his uh, numero uno guy. Uh, there's like another guy and uh, this Woodrow Kendrick and himself. There's four heads basically of this group that are able to kind of execute the shipping and receiving of these guns, including, you know, uh, the, the the transfer of title for the guns. He's, you know, taking uh, broken guns or uh, non-semi-automatic guns and making them semi, you know, he's, yeah. he's making everything legal. They yes. have an actually pretty successful mainstream gun business yeah. for a God-loving group. <laughs> right. And, you know, during the time people go out in the community, people are, I wouldn't say they're wary of them in the community, but, but they're, they're very friendly, very clean, very good people in the community. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when you meet your like overly Christian neighbor, Bob, you know, you can have him over and you can talk football and shit with him. And he's a good guy. And, you know, he takes care of his shit. But, you know, when he goes home, you're like, oh, man, he's a little overzealous with his religion. But, you know, he's a, he's a he's an OK guy. Don't eat dinner over there. It's kind of weird. Yeah, they make you hold hands and pray before you eat. Like, 
I'm not touching Bob's hand. I'm sorry. Uh, but primarily, though, they had over 150 firearm transactions that were all to the letter of the law. Yes. No problems. All the paperwork's in order. Everything's fine. Yeah, everything's uh, going well until a UPS driver um, just happens to come across a, would you say, ripped open package? Yeah, the, well, yeah, the box was open and some parts fell out. And yes. Sort of reminds me of Newman from Seinfeld when just, oh, this part of the mail just happened to come undone, you know. Um, think the UPS driver was being a little snoopy or do you think it legit? Regardless, it happened. UPS driver sees the contents of what's inside of one of these packages being delivered. And part of it is their typical shipment of parts. Well, it actually broke when he delivered it to their place and it was full of guns, black powder and inert grenade casings. Yes. I would probably call my boss and be like, so that package broke when I dropped it off. I don't know if they took the extra insurance, but it's full of guns. uh, and, And you're not supposed to ship black powder explosive through FedEx or any of these shippers. You're not allowed to ship Yeah, explosives. back in the day, even, I don't think you no, were. Just this because, is 92. Yeah. You definitely yeah, couldn't. Yeah, definitely couldn't. Uh, grenade, inert grenade casings. That would have been fine. That would have been fine. The Weapon guns, may, part, maybe. If, they, if it was parts being shipped, I could see maybe, yes, but not an entire intact gun. Yeah, the black powder is a no-no. That's a huge for no-no. sure. Yes. So that's Especially why driving around, driving around in one of those hot you know, trucks in Texas, that shit could go off. And so here we start to bring in the, the federal government. Yes. They, they get involved and start investigating uh, David Koresh and the Branch Davidians because of firearms. Yes. Now, at this point, they're kind of coming off of, would you call it the embarrassment of Ruby Ridge? Uh, it's always a clusterfuck. People, yes. you know, that was a big deal. Yes, and so the ATF, at this point, they sort of need to get back in the good graces. They've got a budget uh, coming up in, like, uh, April or something like that of 93. They've got, like, a a budget hearing for their budget. Um, Popular opinion of them is pretty low right now. Uh, They had some um, female and minority employees filing some complaints about, you know, not being able to move up through the ranks, you know, kind of discrimination. So they need, they need something good to happen for them. And so when all of a sudden, hey, well, these crazies out there in Mount Carmel, you know, what are they doing? Can we make something of this? Can we make ourselves look good here? Yeah, you're, 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 you're doing a lot of filling in. Yes. You're doing a lot of filling in. The facts, though, are... UPS calls, says, hey, calls their headquarters, say they found these parts. Uh, UPS is, uh, by law, has to report it, which they do. And that, those calls go to the ATF. And the ATF is saying, okay, well, let's look into this. And they're seeing uh, an overall broader picture that looks like they're bringing in certain guns to take them from a legal state of semi-automatic and, and turning converting them into them. Fully, fully automatic, which would in turn make it an illegal gun business. That would be totally illegal. And they're saying that neighbors reported hearing automatic weapons fire um, throughout the day. You know, they're using stuff like this as evidence. They're citing this as source evidence. When if you think about it, if you've got a bunch of people, if you have a line of five people 
firing AR-15 semi-automatic, I mean, just the cadence, not everyone's going to be firing at the same time. So some of that volley is going to sound like a continuous automatic stream of fire. Right. And the mood of the ATF, even with the clusterfuck at Ruby Ridge, they're aggressive. Yes. You know, that's, that's why we told you the Ruby Ridge story is, you know, they were making it up as they went and things were super out of hand in that group, that branch of government. I mean, they were just, like I said, making it up as they went. So the branch Davidians have all their paperwork in order. There's no evidence ever that they've sold a fully automatic weapon. In fact, when they retook over, when they reoccupied Mount Carmel, it was discovered that there was a methamphetamine lab that was being done by Rodin on the property because he rented part of the property out. Yes. And they turned it in. They're like, hey, uh, there's this lab here. We, we want don't you like to come it. and get rid of it. Yep. We're, this is not us. We're not pushing drugs here. You right. know, get rid of it. Yes. And although... Pedophilia, yes. Drugs, not so much. Well, and that's where we're starting uh, to kind of toe the line between do you come after a person or do you come after a group? Right. So... Uh, as far as the group infrastructure went, the business that was being conducted there on paper was legal. Uh, they had no evidence that anything illegal was taking place, but they were starting to attract attention. In fact, so much attention that the Waco Tribune Herald ah, yes. began investigating the cult because the, the town was not real happy with what had been going on there with the since the shootout. Right. And... In, the Palestine uh, tent camp and all this. This was all negative to the community. Right. And I think the biggest beef was with Koresh's child brides, which should have been the big beef in the first place. Now, the sheriff's office, you think, like, they didn't just sit on their asses and do nothing about it. The sheriff's office, once again, with the case where, with the corpse digging, they needed a complainant. They needed a legitimate complainant. And the Branch Davidians never once, no one once complained because for them, it was an honor if you're the, you know, child bride or the parents of the child bride, it's an honor for her to be the bride of the, the Lamb of God. So no complaints are filed. So, and um, essentially it was, it was legal. I mean, it was illegal, but it was legal. Does that make sense? Well, it was the, the unreported was, crime. There's nothing. So there was no. The, there's nothing that the the sheriff's office could do about it, legally, yeah. legally. And if he would have gone in there and arrested Kresh, it wouldn't have held weight in court. Yeah, he'd have to have proof to go in. He need, yes. in order to get he a warrant, a complaint. you've got to have something. Yeah, you need a complaint. And people uh, in the community just say that's hearsay. You can't use that. So, and even the ATF knew this. So what they did know was that they sold weapons. So they said, all right, this is, you know, because let's face it, David Crash isn't a good guy. Once again, you're filling. Okay, go ahead and give me the. Well, I mean, you're saying that these were liberties taken, like, hey, we're going to bust them on this because we suspect that. Mm-hmm. that. That's where you're going with this. I mean, if you ask the ATF, they're going to straight up tell you this was a weapons thing. Um, it's been insinuated that they said it was a drug thing, but they were never investigating them for drugs. They were straight up investigating them for weapons. Um, 
And that's what it came down to. This well, was over weapons. The, the ATF eventually takes uh, these reports fairly seriously about the guns, and they start putting undercover agents trying to get them to infiltrate uh, David Koresh's group. Oh, and they put some dandy of ones in and there. They even went <laughs> as far as to have some neighbors that were clearly in their 30s and 40s act as like a fraternity house. Yes, the frat house that was like attending, um, what is it, not T. Baylor. I think Baylor's it was, it was away, ridiculous. Yeah. Like it was clear that that wasn't yeah. it, and yep, yep. where the house was located, and, and Koresh and the Davidians—they were all wise to what was going on here. Obviously, were being investigated, yeah. and, and they even sniffed the mole out early. Yes. So the the but, ATF and is, they even told the ATF the um, Aguilera—is that is how do you pronounce? Yes, Aguilera, uh, the head guy that's writing up. You know that's heading up this investigation to eventually get the warrant, the Koresh called him up and said, hey, we've got nothing to come check it out. We've got all the papers. We've got everything in line for you. Come check it out. And he didn't. He didn't go check it out. Instead, he kind of kept going under his own supposition. He would tell the courts, well, these triggers, though they are semi-automatic triggers, can actually if blah, 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 and this and this and that can become automatic. Well, yeah, okay, cool. If I, I don't know, just come up with a clever metaphor. You know, if I fucking, I don't know. The point Uh, is. If I I fart in my pants, yeah, sure, at some point it could become a shit in my pants. He used his experience and said, look, in the 25, 30 years I've been doing this, when I see this gun match with this gun, the reason these two components are put together is to create fully automatic weapons. And although this paperwork appears to be in order, I can tell you what's really going on is these guys are stockpiling illegal weapons and selling illegal weapons. And I want to go in there and I want to execute a search warrant. Right. And it's, but why didn't he just go in when they offered him? Well, because he felt like they were... They putting were, on a show. They were ready for it. Like oh, they had already okay. cleared the place out. He didn't like, want to like, go as an invitation. Okay, like mom's coming over for dinner, clean up the house. Let's put on our best, you know... Our yep. best appearance. Absolutely. Our boss is coming over for dinner. Everyone behave. And that was, uh, uh, y- you know, and, and he, even in here, he, he makes a claim, this, uh, this Aguila, Agua, Aguera, is that how you Aguilera. say it? Is it Aguilera or Aguera? <laughs> anyway, uh, they, they put in there he was operating a meth lab, and they start filling this whole thing to try to, like, play on on certain uh, buzzwords to try to get the paperwork they need to get in there and search the place. Right. Uh, and that, that in and of itself, just as a citizen, that's a, you know, what kind of bullshit is that? You're just fucking inventing reasons to come illegally search my shit. Right. That's a problem. Now on one side of this, we have the, okay, we have all of these trumped up charges cause they want to come in because they suspect something's going on. And now all of a sudden they're making these super aggressive plays to try to come, you know, execute these search warrants and, you know, find something wrong with the group. It's like, find a law I've broken. Yes. On the other side of this, we have the Waco Tribune, and they have done a series of articles called The Sinful, Sinful Messiah. That's where I got it. Yeah, The Sinful and, Messiah. That's where I got that from. Yeah. Uh, the ATF planned a raid on a certain day, and the uh, Waco Tribune was going to put their articles out then and they kept putting off they didn't want the tribune to do that because they felt like if the tribune published those articles that the group would say hey 
uh, we were raided because of this newspaper ad alleging all of these things and not on right, kind of like the, the Ruby Ridge thing, right? Right, where the the journalists blew it up, and then the government came in. And the ATF's like, "Look, we don't want we, that. We can't have yeah, that happen again. We, that is a, that we're clear. here for weapons. Yeah, not that for was a any bad this yeah, bullshit. That was a bad thing that happened." We're trying to move past that. So they're waiting, waiting, waiting to publish it, and the uh, ATF keeps putting them off and putting them off and putting them right. off. Right, like finally- it's going to be February this. Ah, oh, crap. No, no, we don't have our T's and I's dotted and crossed. Um, maybe it's going to be March this. And so the paper's like, dude, we're, we got a, we've got a hot story. We've got papers to sell. <laughs> well, I mean, I get it. And so when they find out, well, hey, the paper's going to be doing this, they try the day before to bust a raid. Do you, uh, do you want to know what the paper had to say about David Koresh? Um, shoot. Yeah, uh, just a little snippet from it. If you are Branch Davidian, Christ lives on a threadbare piece of land 10 miles east of here called Mount Carmel. He has dimples, claims a ninth grade education, married his legal wife when she was 14, enjoys a beer now and then, plays a mean guitar, reportedly packs a 9mm Glock, and keeps an arsenal of military assault rifles, and willingly admits that he is a sinner without equal. Not glowing. No, that's the opening passage. Uh, well, it is on February 28th that yeah. we enter the third act of this story. Yes. Which is the siege on Waco. Yes. And what happens basically is they're going to execute their search warrant. Yes. And in doing so, uh, they inadvertently tip off uh, one of David Koresh's brother-in-law's uh, by asking for some directions. Uh, a, a journalist does. Yeah. Was it a journalist? It was, was a journalist. Somebody posing as a journalist? No, or? it was a journalist. Because so the journalist was asking directions on how to get to Mount Carmel. And the guy, the, he asked the mailman, because the mailman knows, you know, where the fuck people live. Oh, the journalist got tipped off over the raid, and then that journalist getting tipped off tips then, off the mailman. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Right, the journalist right. got tipped off of the raid. Because the it. ATF kind of wanted this to be aired. Because this was going to be a crown jewel moment, a, a moment of redemption, if you will. This was going to make their shit look really good. And so, I mean, they even called the operation Operation Showtime. Showtime was their go word. It's ballsy. Yeah. You mean to tell me, oh, we didn't want to have media there? No. They, 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 yeah. And so this media guy that was quote unquote tipped off is driving around lost in the area and he sees the mailman. He's like, hey, hey, buddy, you know where Mount Carmel is? Mailman's like, yeah, w- why you want to go? And he's like, oh, some shit's going to go down. So the mailman being Koresh's, probably one of Koresh's many. <laughs> yeah, when you got that many brides, you're <laughs> yeah. going to run into a few brother-in-laws. Yeah, so, um, yeah, he tips them off. And so at that point, the one agent, the mole that they had already discovered was a mole, they kind of they tell him, hey, uh, you know, What's up? <laughs> Mole's like, uh, I got to get to class. And what was makes his name? A- his name was Rodriguez. Yeah. And Rodriguez makes up an excuse instantly to get the fuck out of there. And he says, as he left, the last thing he noticed they were doing was praying. Yeah. And, uh, so it says, uh, when Rodriguez replied, uh, they were praying branch Davidian survivors have written that crush ordered selected male followers to begin uh, arming and taking up defensive positions while the women and children were told to take cover in their rooms. Right. So this is going on inside the compound. Outside of the compound, the ATF are ready to go. 
They're yeah, you know, they're going to go got, ahead even though they they're, know they're prepared. So for they know that they're prepared for him, and that's their greatest regret to this day. Now the initial plan, the initial plan was to wait for because it's on a Sunday. And so they know after the men and after they do all their praying, the men go out to work in the fields and what have you. And, you know, Koresh is sort of isolated. So if you can get him kind of isolated, then they can come in and just storm the keep, get Koresh alone, and go ahead and check out the compound while the men are away. Well, it's a shitty day because they're supposed to dig a ditch. It's a shitty kind of rainy day. So they're not going to go out there and dig any fucking muddy ditch. And the ATF still knew this, and they were still that con. They they just they went ahead with the plan. Koresh told the other Branch Davidians that he would try to speak to the agents, and what would happen next would depend on the agents' intentions. So now at this point, the agents pull up, and everything else. It's sort of like the Battle of Lexington and Concord, the quote unquote shot heard around the world that started the American Revolution. Who fired first? Was it the British? Was it the Americans? And that was over a siege of arms. And the British came in to get weapons the, the Americans were stockpiling. And uh, that was on April 19th. That date's going to be important later. And same thing sort of happens here. ATF goes in to get a stockpile of weapons, and we've got a shot heard around the world. No one knows who shot first, in fact. And, of course, it just matters, you know, this is kind of cool right here. It says, uh, well, I'm using that term loosely, but it paints a picture. Uh, despite being informed that the Branch Davidians knew a raid was coming, the ATF commander ordered that the raid go ahead, even though their plan depended on reaching the compound without the Branch Davidians being armed and prepared. While not standard procedure, ATF agents had their blood type written on their arms or neck after leaving the staging area and before the raid because it was recommended by the military to facilitate speedy blood transfusions in case of injury. How weird would that be, man? Ominous. Ominous. You're you're an agent like, uh, oh, negative, right? Oh, negative on Travis's neck right there. And you've got your gun and you're like, ah, they know they're coming, man. You're writing your blood. uh, This is a bad call. Yeah. I'm not liking this. I'm not liking this. No, nobody, nobody, uh, nobody. Would would you think less of me if I opted out? (laughs) I'm an opt out guy. Yeah. I'm not going to think less of you if you opt out, (laughs) but but uh, I'll get your own negative. Uh, I'll be back here. Yeah. Uh, Jim, I'll join you. I'm going to go grab my own O negative. I'll, <laughs> no, I'll join you. That. while. Yeah, I'll get that. I'm fine. Sit down, I'll, Jim. I got it. I got it. You grab yours. I'll grab mine. So, so we don't know who fired first. Um, well, ATF agents stated that they heard shots coming from within the compound. Now, while Davidian survivors claim that the first shots came from the ATF agents outside. Now I've watched an excruciating amount of documentaries on this. The, I've read a lot. I've read. I've read. Um, well, other reports claim that the first shots were fired by the ATF dog team sent to kill the dogs in the branch. Divi- excuse me, Davidian kennel. Now, for me personally, I tend to believe the dog team theory. So they Ruman killed the aggressive dogs, and that, those yep, were the first think, shots. Think Ruby Ridge, where they threw the rocks, and then the dogs. They got yeah. the dogs. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So very plausible. Yeah. Um, and when you just watch footage, you see the ATF agents firing from behind. They just pull up in these like fucking just trucks, like with, with a tarp over them. 
So I mean, I mean, right there, not smart. You're not armored. You're not, you know, you, you, you have no, you don't have very good defilade. So they, you see the ATF agents shooting from behind the truck and you hear, you hear dogs dying in the background. Um, I mean, it's just a mismatch, mishmash of footage at this point. I mean, you see the one famous scene where the ATF agent's on the roof, and then you see the semi-automatic rifle fire come in and hit him in the arm, and then he goes sliding down the ladder. Um, but Where are you going with this, man? Were you describing so we the know, first moments of the raid? Yeah, and so you, um, they claim that the door, all the bullet holes were incoming rounds. There weren't, like, any... Outgoing. Let me, let me help you paint a better yeah, picture. Yeah, thanks, here. man. So uh, Vernon gets shot, and we basically have the uh, ATF descend on uh, Mount Carmel. This big, uh, and it kind of looks like an oversized two-story pole barn, really. Yeah, like an arc without the boat, really. Right. And uh, you know they go ahead full bore, and uh, you know as they're cleaning the dogs out, if you believe that, or the agents are firing, or they're defending or they're themselves. Defending them, yeah. It gets real feverish real fast to the yes. point where you know I think the first casualty is an, an ATF agent, right? Uh, that well, the first Davidian uh, casualty is an old man who happened to be standing by the doorway. Okay, um, uh, that was the, so. The first casualty was a Davidian. I believe it to be a Davidian, but who knows in the. In the fog of war? How about a chronology of the events? It's so tough, man. It's so tough. uh, So at 5 o'clock, 76 agents assemble at Fort Hood. Okay, yeah, we have already already assembled. 9.45, ATF agents move in on the compound and a gun battle begins. Yeah, that's all that's ever... Because no one really... Once again, fog of war. What happens? So all we know is that there's a fucking shootout. Big shootout. Big time shootout. Even Crush gets hit in the wrist. Crush gets hit. He actually gets one uh, uh, in some of the videos that he sent the FBI. You see it clearly. He gets shot through the side of the stomach. Uh, he does get hit in the wrist, too. Um, this old man, I can't remember his name, but he gets hit and he bleeds out and dies. Uh, a couple of ATF guys that go in the into David Crush's room. Uh, a couple guys go into the armory where they believe the, the weapons are being held. A couple of Davidians die there. A couple of ATF agents die inside. Then when they begin their retreat, one of the ATF agents covering the retreat gets shot. Uh, there's a... Um, remember the guy I was talking about earlier? Uh, brother, sister came over from Australia. Yep. Um, he gets hit up on the water tower. No weapon on him, but yet he gets shot because he would scrape in the water tower. Apparently, he climbs up the water tower get a look like what the fuck is going on and he gets up to the top of the water tower so he's not bright and yeah and he gets picked off uh (laughs) hear lots of gunfire i'll go outside unprotected um and climb up on (sighs) the fucking exposed water tower um i don't know how they hit him with pistols and rifles i mean that was a pretty tall water tower i don't know how he got hit i mean from that low it's suspected that a helicopter flew by and shot him but uh, the ATF claims they there was no weapons discharged from the helicopters. You ask other people, they say, because um, they did have weapons on the helicopters. So you ask other people, and they say, no, 
The helicopters were shooting down on the place. They shot down in the water tanks um, so that they would empty the water. Uh, you know, and then the AT- yeah, everybody's got their own spin yeah. on this. The government report says that the helicopters did not shoot but took shots. They took incoming fire from they the took Davidians. Incoming fire, but and, they did not and shoot. And it forced them to land. And they, well, and they were under a completely different understanding of what they were there for. They thought they were there for like a distraction. They didn't think they were going to be taking any fire. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, they were just National Guard helicopters. So you're, you're watching this whole thing go down. And uh, within the first three minutes, uh, Branch Davidian Wayne Martin calls uh, 911. Yep. And he's this, like yelling, like, man. Tell them to stop shooting at us. Hear that sound? That's all them. They're doing all the shooting, which is bullshit. The Davidians are fucking shooting, too. It says, here they come again. That's them shooting at us, not us. But it paints a picture that, you know, we are, uh, you know, the victims here. Yeah, we're, we're being, being attacked victimized by and our government. And shot at. Yeah. And what the fuck is going on? And ultimately, uh, a ceasefire by 1130 in the morning is reached. Yeah, uh, and you know we've got agents down. And we've got six yeah. Branch Davidians, and the Davidians, down. the Davidians allow them to you know clear their wounded. The you know every they honor the ceasefire. The um, you know the FBI, uh, the ATF clears out their wounded. The Davidians, um, well, I think Peter Ginn's body was up there for five days on that water tower. Uh, so I don't know that the Davidians really were able to. It took a little while until they could claim theirs. But the ATF, have you seen the video footage of the ATF when they went rolling out of there? Yeah. Totally different than the footage of before the, because before the strike, it was all showtime and thumbs up and yeah, smiles. And then all of a sudden they're taking their aggression out on the journalists that they wanted to be there. You know, one of them, you see ATF officers pushing and kicking a journalist like a cameraman, get the fucking camera out. Well, it's blown up on them now. I mean, yeah. this was supposed to be a simple search and seizure with a yeah. little bit of media. Yeah. Hey, we're the ATF. And but here's the thing, man. The cameraman was like, dude, I don't blame them. I mean, they just had this fucking shit blow up in their face. I was the first release valve that they saw. So, you know, you know, I mean, it's just everyone. Well, despite yeah. the cameraman being cool as fuck. That's, you know, it yeah. was an embarrassing, embarrassing day. Yes. Uh, anyway, I'm going to run through this chronology real quick. So the events of that day led to basically 5 a.m. 76 agents get together to, uh, you know, execute this search warrant. And by the time we get to uh, 1130, we've had a two hour gunfight. Yeah. And we have six at this point, five to six branch Davidians. Well, about to be sixth branch Davidians killed, and we have four dead ATF and numerous wounded. I mean, all televised. All televised. Right now, it's all on CNN. It's a shit show. Everyone knows about it. And we don't actually reach a true ceasefire until what eight o'clock at night, eight fifteen. Um, I, it was pretty much honored during the day. I mean, well, at uh, four fifty, so they said there was a ceasefire at eleven thirty, but by uh, four fifty-five, Michael Schroeder is shot dead returning to the compound. Yes, well, that wasn't part of the ceasefire per se. ATF spokesman Ted Royster says gunfire has continued sporadically throughout the afternoon. That's at five o'clock at night. Huh. By seven thirty, David Crush is interviewed by CNN. The FBI instructs CNN not to conduct further interviews. <laughs> 
ATF spokesperson Sharon Wheeler says negotiations continue with the Branch Davidians and gunfires ended. That's at uh, uh, 7915. By 10 o'clock, the four kids exit. Two Shinobe children and two Fagan children. So two, yeah, so basically... Two different families. Right, right. And so the government, their main focus is to get the kids out of there because, come on, man, let's get the kids out of the line of fire. Now, during the shootout, Koresh was on the phone with the police, too. Have you heard that tape? I haven't. Oh, man, he just goes straight into the preaching. He just goes straight into, you know, this is how you know. Like, he just goes straight into the seven seals and about, you know, the religious... And, like, the 911 operators kind of going... Hey man, let's stay on task here. Let's let's stay on target. <laughs> so this is where things get a little weird. As Travis mentioned with the seven seals, uh, I think it's important that you know what we're talking about. Uh, the seven seals is the indication that we're we're all and the, the this is this is it. This is it. Yeah. Right? Uh, the seven seals contained secret information known only to God until the lamb or lion was found worthy to open the book or scroll and to look onto the contents. And uh, Koresh claimed to have been that lamb, lamb. or lion. That's yes. why you hear Travis so many times uh, refer to him as the lamb. As the lamb. And uh, upon the lamb opening the seal from the book, a judgment is released or an ap- apocalyptic event occurs. The opening of the first four seals released the four horsemen, each with their own specific mission. The opening of the fifth seal releases the cries of martyrs for the word slash wrath of God. The sixth seal prompts earthquakes and other cataclysmic events. And the seventh seal cues seven angelic trumpeters who in turn cue the seven bowl judgments in more cataclysmic events. So that is the seven seals are end times. And so David Crush has just been through this massive gunfight. Four kids run out of the building and surrender to authorities. And five minutes after that, he's on a Dallas radio again saying that he was the most seriously injured Branch Davidian, even mm-hmm. though six others are dead, yeah. preaching as garbage. I mean, this is, this is a cult. Yeah. Now, this goes on for how many days? 51. 51 days. And now we can go back and forth. We had, you know, special negotiating teams. We have uh, uh, crisis groups. We have expert negotiators. We have people from all different factions getting involved in trying to get this thing come to an end. And And it is a belief before the final day that they were close. They thought they were were extremely close. close. They were very close. Um, a little background, though, on this, why they thought they were... Once again, it's a shit show. Uh, you have Koresh posturing. You have the FBI posturing. You have Koresh saying, okay, I'm going to release all these children, and he does. He releases all the children, and anyone that wants to leave can leave. Uh, but the majority of the adults stay, and all once they get down to no more children other than Koresh's children... Because remember, these are supposed to be, they're going to grow into the people that judge man. So they're sacred, and they're his children, and they're going nowhere. So, and essentially, he's going to hide behind them. He's going to hide behind these kids. Because that's, they want to get the women and children. And that, that's what you felt he was doing, was using the kids as a shield? Um, Is that how it was painted in most of the recounts that you watched? I, yes and no. 
I, I think he was kind of a coward and kind of hid behind the kids. That's just my personal opinion. But, um, for example, okay, they were going to come out. They were so... If you talk to any of the Branch Davidians, they were ready to come out. The majority of them did not want to see this go to the end, to the death. So Koresh said, I want, I want an hour on national radio. Uh, I don't remember how many days into the siege this is, but uh, maybe like two, three weeks into it. It's about maybe 14, 21 days. That's just a rough estimation. I don't have the exact number in front of me. And they give him the time. They put him on the radio, on national radio, for an entire hour. And he just gives this uh, god-awful, god-awful speech. Even uh, followers of Koresh said that's like the, I don't know why he picked that one. That was like the worst one he ever gave. Um, And so I think, so the time came that they're going to unload, you know, they're all coming out. The FBI is ready for it. You know, they've got everything ready to go so they can take these people away. They can take the children to safe houses and, you know, just do what they got to do. And the day goes on and no one's coming out. Like, what the fuck? David, I thought we had a deal here. We, we gave you what you wanted. And he says, God told me to stay. To remain in the building and wait. Yes. He told me to remain in the building and wait. How do you, as, an, uh, as a negotiator, how do you negotiate against someone's God? You can't. It wasn't all for loss that day, though, because 19 children were released. So ranging in age from five months to 12 years old without their parents. And that was the final, that, I believe that was the final group before it came down to his kids. And he, cut, he drew the line at his kids. All, what, 14, 15, 16, however many of them. It says, uh, despite, uh, uh, da, 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 19 children ranging from 18 to 12 were the parents. However, 98 people remained in the building. The children were interviewed by the FBI and Texas Rangers, some for hours at a time. Allegedly, the children had been physically and sexually abused long before the standoff. This was the key justification offered by the FBI uh, for launching tear gas attacks on the compound to force the Branch Davidians out. So that's going to happen on day 51. So in the meantime, posturing has been going on. Uh, the FBI, you know, they, um, they've been like, okay, well, you've shown us some goodwill, sent some people out. We'll show you some goodwill. Like, we won't cut power, do this or that. But at some point, it just gets mean between both sides. And the FBI starts using psychological warfare. They start blasting um, that song, These Boots Were Made. Uh, These boots were made for walking. That's just what they'll do. So they start, uh, what is that? That's a Nancy Sinatra song. They start blasting that on repeat. They start playing just, have you listened to any of those clips? You've heard some of those clips. Uh, chainsaws going, followed by like Burgess. Well, we were watching the whole thing live. I mean, it was on TV for yeah. months. Yeah. Um, you know, sound of rabbits and chickens dying. Uh, yeah, the rabbits dying was crazy. Oh, I'm just in loud as loud could be. Yeah, high pitch, shrill. Here again, you know, you're taking a guy that's already fucking crazy, and you're fucking injecting more crazy into him. You have the site commander who was at Ruby Ridge. Yes, he was the HRS uh, fellow. Let me find his name here. But basically, that whole thing turned into a clusterfuck. And now this guy is the site commander at Waco, 
And a lot of the things that are going on here are at his order. His yeah. I mean, he's pulling the strings. Yeah. And as a result, we now have another goddamn mess. Yes. Uh, his name was Commander Richard Rogers, who had previously been criticized for his actions during the Ruby Ridge incident. Uh, yeah. He was in charge of the initial siege on the building. So, yeah, why put this guy back? Let's maybe try another guy. You know, like these things, you don't get mulligans for these. You aren't going to get reliable, predictable actions out of somebody who's sleep deprived, whose paranoia is through the roof. I mean, they're just harassing, harassing, harassing. And I think they're going to just wear him down from wanting sleep. And you're doing everything you can to sort of help his preachings come to life for him. <laughs> you know, the armies of Babylon, we're going to defend ourselves from Babylon. Well, Babylon, okay, turns out, folks, Babylon wasn't a bunch of demons that are going to come out of the ground or from the sky or wherever. Turns out the army of Babylon is our fucking government, and that's how he twists it. You know, that's Babylon out there, and we got to make our stand against Babylon. Uh, These people are already so indoctrinated that, yeah, you're right, man, this is Babylon. So the FBI sends in a camera so that they can get some footage of these people thinking, all right, we're going to get back some just miserable as fuck. I don't want to be in here. This sucks. And they get quite the opposite. I think we're in here for a good reason. I'm staying inside. I'm not coming out. Yeah, but with clearly anybody that yeah. saw those tapes at the time, you could see it was sort of a provoked, here's how you're going to answer this so that we can get some you know, good fare from the general public. Right. And it was, I mean, they didn't look that way. They didn't look that great. They didn't look that happy. It was no. like, this sucks. This yeah. sucks. So happy. He's introdu- the- wasn't he introducing like his 14 kids and there were yeah. like 21 other kids in the video? And yeah. I mean, it was like really. Yeah. And you know, you may judge me, but this is my family. What's your family? Like was one of his quotes. But one of the quotes that he made in those videos that always did strike me as just curious was he tells the FBI, why did you do this? Why did you come attacking you know, our, 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 he, I believe he called it community. I, I don't know verbatim, just paraphrasing here, but why did you come attacking us when you could have got me at any time? You could have got me when I was going to fucking Walmart. It's not like the guy stayed in the house all the goddamn time. Right. You know, he fucking, he was, he, he was, he was out and about. You could have just waited for him to be going down a fucking country road and you could have just fucking roadblocked his ass and got him. Well, let's push through to the final siege, and then we'll kind of talk about uh, just kind of in an effort to keep this thing going. We'll kind of talk about some of those things. Yeah, so the totality. So of all okay, of it. so as you okay, so as you can see, negotiation. They're pushing back and forth, pushing, but we think we've brokered a deal here. Um, about day forty six, forty seven, they believe they've brokered a deal, and Koresh, you know, you can hear the tapes. He sounds defeated. He sounds like he's just ready to come out. He's like. I'm sick of living off of MREs or whatever. They're, you know, rations. Hurt. He's hurt. He's just down. He's like, look, man, I just want to get out my message. That's all I want to do. So I'm going to, you know, he it's going to take me. It's gonna, he's going to finish some writing right? on the seven seals. Yeah. He and he says it's going to take him. What did he call them? His, uh, the, he had a name for them. And it's going to take him two days. It's going to take, or it's going to take him two days per seal. So essentially it's going to take him 14 days to write all of this stuff. And they're like, great, great. We're looking forward to you coming out. Uh, and the negotiator even tells him, he's like, you know what? I'm not even going to talk to you on the phone anymore. 
because you've got some writing to do, bud. Go do some writing. He's like, man, I'm going to do some writing, and it's going to blow your socks off. He's like, great. Go do it. Get it done. Get it out to us. Let's end this thing. Because let's not forget, man, yes, there are people's lives at stake, but at the same time, too, with a siege like this, how much money do you think that's costing the government to keep all of those troops there? To keep So, I mean, they're feeling the cash pinch, too. So they want to get this ended. Well, now we've got President Bill Clinton involved, and we have Janet Reno involved, uh, and we've got hearings in the background going on at Ruby Ridge. Yeah. And this is all looking very bad. Yes. It so, kind of looks like they you've made got, up their own rules again. Yeah, and you've got kind of some popular opinion. You know, you've got half the country. You know, opinion kind of switches. At first, it was like, fuck those cultists. Take them down. Go in there and get them out. But the longer this goes on, the more sympathy within you know the population starts generating for these cultists and so um so this is so four days before day so about day 47 this happens and the night before day 51 on april 18th right before the 19th uh they're talking to steve schneider because schneider's the other guy that they're mostly in and um like Look, you know, something big is going to go down here. The bosses, they're, they're through with this. And at this point, it's already been signed off what they're going to do. Um, they're through with this. I mean, we've, I know we've got a deal in place, but you've got to show us something, man. Just show us, show us some writings. You know, bring us out one of the seals. Bring us out anything. This is a negotiator now. Yeah. And, you know, he's like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not coming out. I'm not bringing you anything until it's ready. And they're like, look, you don't get it. You are fucking out of time. It's time. Like, just give us something. And they don't. They stay in there. So the morning of the 19th, they roll in the tanks. They were kind of worried, though, about, you know, what, what were their, what was the intent with the information? I mean, it's not been good. Right. You got negotiators saying one thing, and then you have this dying rabbit music being played. Yeah. Oh, and another <clears throat> thing they did, they drove tanks over their cars. Cut off all the power. Yep. Drove tanks over their cars as they're driving tanks over their cars. Uh, I mean, would you be willing to listen to someone who just drives a fucking tank over your car? Like, oh, yeah, hey, you know, we want to be buddies and, you know, in this. Then they drive a tank over your car, and then the fucking people driving the tanks would get out and moon them and flip them the finger. You know, you know, you want to you want to you want to talk with that guy by the time I'm in a gunfight with the United States government and I've lost six of the, you know, members of the group. And we've sent a bunch of kids out to be uh, collected and put in a safe position. And I've got my leader bleeding out and this whole thing's a shit show. I don't think I fucking care about the car. Yeah, I'm thinking I walk. But that's what Branch Davidian said as to why they didn't come out. They said. You know, these guys are acting like fucking ass. These are who we're going to surrender to. These fucking pricks doing this shit. Fuck you. We're staying inside. We don't we don't know if it's any better out there than it is in here. You saying that that's what the branch division. That's what some of the survivors said. You're saying that all of the bullshit that the agents were doing and all of the harassment really just strengthened their resolve to be like, no, fuck you. Yes. All right. And so. um, So the morning of the 19th, the tanks roll in. And, and they roll heavy, dude. They got a list of the shit that they bring in there, and it's uh, hundreds of FBI agents, uh, fifty cal guns, assault vehicles, helicopters, 
I mean, you they've name got, it. They've got planes fl- circling above taking um, FLIR images. Armored vehicles designed to pump tear gas into the buildings at specific points. CS gas. It's, uh, this is no, this is no joke. Yeah, this, this is, so this is real. Four to five combat engineered vehicles armed with CS gas, two M1A1 Abrams main battle tanks, one M88 tank retriever. And I mean, these people aren't armed to the teeth. No, I mean, they've got small arms, you know, small arms being rifles, pistols, that sort of thing. They don't have fucking artillery or anything like that. Oh, the list keeps going on, dude. I mean, it's uh, Na- the Texas National Guard, air surveillance aircraft, They've got U.S. Two- Army Special Forces, you know what Delta the- Force soldiers. Yeah. You know what they also had there? Two sniper teams that they've had there since the... Um, they, the sniper teams have been there for a while at two different outposts. Guess who's um, manning one of the outposts, the sniper outposts? Oh, is, would it be the same one that tagged... Uh, Miss Vicky? Yeah. Miss Vicky Weaver? Yep, yep. Lon Horiuchi. Oh, Lon Horiuchi after Ruby Ridge, and he tags Vicky Weaver. Um, aren't they supposed to, like, undergo, like, a couple months of psychiatric, you know, like, not allowed to fire any bullets, and you got to... That doesn't apply to snipers. Ah. Well, even... They took him to court. He went to court for um, misconduct. And it was looking like he was going to get in trouble. Then all of a sudden, it just goes away. Yep. And all of a sudden, he's at fucking Waco, manning a fucking sniper rifle, heading a sniper rifle team. Well, they were facing uh, uh, 305 firearms, including numerous rifles, right. semi-automatic AK-47s and AR-15s, yes. shotguns, revolvers, pistols, 250 caliber rep- weapons with armor-piercing pe- ammunition, 46 semi-auto firearms modified to fire in full automatic mode, including one list of 22 AR-15s. Erroneously, erroneously, excuse me, referred to as an M16. 28 K-47s. I mean, it's a huge list. Yeah. And so... But the modified, the 22 modified AR-15s. Yeah. That comes into play. Right. But I just want to give you a little rundown. So what happens? So the tanks fucking roll in, man. And they start punching holes through the... If you were alive, then you, you know this footage well. So what I'm saying is... But for those of you that weren't alive or just oblivious to what was going on in the world at that time, um, the tanks roll in. They start punching holes through the house. And as they punch holes through the house, they are injecting this aerosol um, version of the CS gas into the house. And this is supposed to last, this is supposed to last for four days. It's supposed to be four days worth of gas. They go through it in three to four hours. They pump it in, they roll it in and pump it in that heavy. And the reason they're going to pump in this gas is because they believe that the natural parental instinct of the women will make them want to grab the children and run outside. Can I, can I stop you real quick? Please do. <clears throat> At uh, 5.50 in the morning, agents call the Branch Davidian compound to warn they are, going to break ta- they are going to begin tank activity and advise residents to take cover. Agents say the Branch Davidian who answered the phone did not reply, but instead threw the phone and the phone line out the front door. <laughs> So consequently, at 9.55, the FBI hostage rescue team deploys two armored EVs to the buildings. 
Now, the whole time that's going on, the main hostage negotiator is on the phone saying, this is not a raid. We are not raiding you. Just come out of the house. The game is up. But this is not a raid. Apparently, he was saying that so that Koresh wouldn't think that, couldn't tell his followers, oh, this is a raid. So at this point, they know a little bit about his belief system and how they believe that when the time comes, a wall of fire is going to, like, circle them and take out everyone else around them. And they'll be safe within the wall of fire. And so the guy's trying to say this isn't a raid, blah, 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 blah. So, therefore, Koresh isn't going to think that. Uh, Okay. But they proceed with this plan, and they're pumping in this gas, which just a little bit. uh, Have you ever – I haven't been gassed myself, but I've watched videos where they gas the soldiers with this stuff with just a minute amount, and they're puking, and they're crying. And we're talking, like, two minutes' worth of exposure to a little bit. And they poured in. Like I said, their supply was supposed to last four days. They pump it in there in four, three to four hours. And um, so the children go and hide. The women and children go and hide in what they call the bunker. And one of the tanks pumps it right into the bunker. And um, from what I gather, what CNS experts say, when, I mean, a heavy exposure to this stuff can kill you. Four hours worth of pumping it in. I mean, two minutes with grown men, and they're puking. And the women, the children didn't have masks because they can't fit on them. And so you see pictures of some of the kids' bodies, and it causes the nerves to distort so that it can cause um, bone to crack in the legs. You see these kids, their, their legs are just bent and ungodly, like something you would see out of like a horror movie, the way like their legs were contorted and bent. Well, it says that they pumped gas. They started pumping in the gas and firing these rounds at 5.55. Yeah, and then they're also firing in the the projectile (laughs) rounds, which pump in the gas as well. By 7.30, they're still deploying and breaching the buildings using these tanks. Now, this is is happening on the windiest day of the year. This is going to keep it. Just keep that in mind. Keep in mind that they, these vehicles are breaching the building. They're making big holes in the building. They're also they're creating uh, what they uh, called um, escape routes while pumping the tear gas in with the idea being, look, we're trying to use non-lethal rounds to get you to vacate this building. Just right. leave the building. Leave the building. Here's your escape route. <clears throat> there are surveillance cameras and audio recordings and audio devices, and they're picking up audio inside the building. They're picking up video inside the building. They're seeing that these either they they aren't seeing people or necessarily hearing people, or they're hearing people that are wearing masks, and they realize that this either is not working, or that they're located in a separate part of the building. So by about seven thirty, seven forty-five, they request to fire military-style shells that can break through underground concrete bunkers. And they get permission to do so and fire the two shells. So yes, that, that is what you're saying possibly killed these kids. Um, possibly. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it definitely... They, they thought that they were being merciful by doing this and that the, the kids would come out. But at this point, you know that they're fucking fanatics. They're not coming out. And when you just... And they knew that the kids and the, the women were going to hide in what they called the bunker. So why you're just going to pour all of this aerosol CNS gas that you know can fuck fuck people up, possibly kill them 
most likely kill them in an enclosed environment. Why are you going to pump that on them? I, I just don't know. Um, it says that they fired the uh, rounds that they were approved to yeah, fire that oh, should have those, penetrated the concrete, and they just bounced off. They didn't even make well, it. Well, yeah, in. it was super reinforced concrete. And the, um, you know, if one of those rounds hits someone, that it can kill them. Like, it, it, that projectile was fired with that much velocity. It can kill somebody if it hits them. Most of them were uh, non-incendiary rounds, and even those that were, it had been so much time had passed that they were... Spent right cooled. that the, the the well in that the the particles from the aerosol should have um you know hit the floor by that point, but once again gas being gas and with the wind now coming in and creating essentially the suction throughout the place that it was creating from them opening up all of these holes, and you've got all of these accelerants in the air. What do you think is going to happen? Um, at some point. Whoa, 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 whoa. So now here's where we're going we're gonna to slide past one another. You believe that all of the gases and things fired into this building are no. about to start a fire? No, 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 no. So here's where I'm going. So then on those wiretaps, you hear some Davidians going, oh, pour some more over here. No, pour it here. Don't waste it all. We might need some later. Should we throw some more hay on it? Uh, there's clearly... So the Davidians are pouring in gasoline. Now, what is not known is their motivation. Some speculate that their motivation is for, they're going to wait for the government troops to come in and they're going to torch the place. Um, They're thinking they're going to use them for tanks. Now, other people believe that Koresh is going to enact the whole wall of fire. I don't know. I don't know. There's not enough. You're referring to FBI surveillance records a meeting starting at 7.30 a.m. between several unidentified males. This is reported at 9.20 in the morning. Unidentified male. They got two cans of Coleman fuel down there, huh? Uh, Unidentified male. Empty. All of it. Nothing left. Yep. So they're using, they're starting to use their own fuel and pouring the stuff out, or does that mean that they use the Coleman fuel as light? What, what was that used for? Not necessarily to start fires. That could have been for lanterns. Right. Because the power's cut off and they're in a bunker. But why are you going to start fire when, <clears throat> so I don't know. According so, to the government at 1117 in the morning, a series of remarks such as, I want to fire, keep that fire going, do you think I could light this soon? Indicate that the Branch Davidians have started setting fires to the complex. Around 11.30, surviving Branch Davidians testified that Coleman fuel had been poured and fire experts in Danforth report agreed without question that people inside the complex had started multiple accelerated fires. Yes. So at this point, you know, they're pouring the gas all around the place. Who lit it? I honestly believe, my opinion, it's not known. It's not known who started fire. I can tell you this. It wasn't a tank. There's that famous image of a tank with like, it looks like it's like spraying a flamethrower in there. That tank didn't have a flamethrower on it. It wasn't shooting flames in the building. Um, but it, I, I believe that it was a Branch Davidian, but here's what I can't tell you because we don't have audio on it or not. What I don't know is if it was started intentionally or not. Um, because they did find a torch in there, and maybe this guy just kind of had this torch waving around with this perfect, you know, 
just what would you call it? What do they call that? Some kind of belly pot sort of fucking device that the, the whole house had been turned into like a belly stove with all of the air and the suction coming through. I mean, guys running around with a lighter, maybe, maybe he intends to do it. Maybe he doesn't. Um, but you know, you've got particulate in the air, you've got aerosols, you've got, um, uh, uh, accelerants all around. So whether he did it or not on tent on, on purpose, I don't know, but I do believe it was started by a branch Davidian. I would say that when you were watching this at the time, it looked like there's a raid on the building. They're taking tanks. They're firing objects at it. It's dragging on. You're aware that there's 20 kids in the building. You feel like these people are kind of being picked on because, you know, we are, we just been exposed to the Ruby Ruby Ridge incident. Yeah. And all of a sudden the building's starting on fire. Nobody's leaving the building. Eventually one girl, I think, Couple, out a couple she's got his like manuscript or something. Eight, eight or 11 people, yeah, mm. like eight to 11 make it out. And you're starting to realize, well, if there's, you know, almost 100 people in there and we've got a handful that have come out, we're watching 90 people and a bunch of 75 kids. 75 people and 25 death. kids burned to death. Super and that was fucked up. Super fucked up, super hard to take. I mean, especially me being a kid at that time, Um, I just, I couldn't believe what I was watching. Yeah, it uh, says here uh, uh, they fire some gas at around 11.45. One of the walls uh, of the building collapses by Yeah, noon, by the gymnasium. Noon, noon 05, 12.05, visible flames appear. Uh, by 12.09, just a few minutes later, Ruth Riddle exits with a computer disc in her jacket containing Koresh's manuscript on the seven seals. Uh, third fire detected on the first floor. Flame spread quick. So by twelve ten, which is it took know, like no time. Three minutes. I mean, flame spread quickly through the entire dry- building, fanned by high winds. Yep. By twelve twelve, they're called the fire department. By uh, twelve twenty five, there's a huge explosion on the left side of the compound. One object hurls into the air, bounces off the top of a white bus, and lands on the grass, which was seen in the videos. Yep. That's why they pointed out. By 12.30, the roofs collapse. So, you know, in less than 23 minutes, this thing's gone. Everybody's dead. And everyone's dead. Um, I think they were probably dead within the first probably five, probably five minutes. Within 45 minutes, the fire begins to burn out. The entire compound is leveled. Yeah. Um, did you know <clears throat> that the uh, FBI director actually stopped the fire trucks from going in? I did not know that. Yeah, he, uh, he, he did not allow the fire trucks in because out of fear that um, they were going to be fired upon. Um, at this point, I, I, I don't really know that. I don't know that it'd have mattered. Uh, it wouldn't have mattered. Um, they're dead already, but just the gesture of, well, we don't want you to be fired upon. Um, I think they're pretty much being cooked in there. There's I don't hundreds think... of people on site. I mean, you can, you can appreciate that, right? There's hundreds of people involved in this raid. Yeah. There's already been a clusterfuck of agents that are dead. The, the negotiations didn't work. The tear gas didn't work. The fucking building's burning down. You know there's a ton of people in there. I kind of get it. I do. I kind of get like, hey, you guys, uh, we don't it's, it's know what's over. going on. It's over. We don't want to put you in danger. We don't know what the fuck's yeah, going on. I We're can see that. dangerous stage of this. I could see that. It turns out uh, in all, 76 Branch Davidians died and nine survived the fire. Uh, five others had been killed in the initial ATF raid, and their bodies were burned on the grounds. 
Uh, one had been killed by the ATF after the raid, and 35 had left during the FBI stand-up. Oh, that was another thing, too, that pissed them off. The guy that was shot on the water tower, five days later after they, um, um, they allowed him to get him down and they buried him, they knew where he was buried. And apparently a tank would just go right over where he was buried and just just back and forth over it. So, you know, these people... Word. How did you expect them to come out when even when you're pumping the nerve gas, you you solidified them. You solidified them. It says autopsy reports also indicate that at least 20 branch Davidians were shot, including five children under the age of 14. Uh, three year old Dalen Gent was stabbed in the chest. The medical examiner who performed the autopsies believed these deaths were mercy killings by branch Davidians trapped in the fire with no escape. The expert uh, retained by the U.S. Office of Special Counsel concluded that many of the gunshot wounds support self-destruction either by overt suicide, con- consensual execution, or suicide by proxy, or less likely forced execution. And the conspiracy theorists would tell you that the Delta Force was on the ground firing into the only exit that um, the Davidians could get out of. Autopsies of the dead revealed that some women and children found beneath the fallen concrete wall of the storage room died of skull injuries. Autopsy photographs of the children locked in what appeared to be spasmic death poses are consistent with cyanide poisoning, Yep. one of the results produced by burning CS gas. The U.S. Department of Justice report indicated that only one body had traces of benzene, one of the components of the solvent dispersed in CS gas, but that the gas in insertions had finished nearly one hour before the fire started and that it wasn't enough time for solvents to dissipate from the bodies of the branch Davidians that had inhaled the tear gas. So yeah, they, um, it was enough time, not that it was not, that it was enough time. So they intended to, they did all of this to get the kids out and they ended up just torturing these kids for about four hours. So kind of, you know, they fucked up. It appears they fucked up. David Crush's best friend, you know, the one whose wife he banged? Yep, Schneider. Uh, turns out he executed. Crush, well, they're not right? sure. They're not sure. They, the two of them were found together with bullet holes, with suicide bullet holes through their, their skull, you know, through their heads. Well, so it, it, one theory is Schneider killed Koresh, then killed himself. The other theory is they went one, two, three, and bang, shot together. The forensics were that there was one gun and that Koresh was executed. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't hear about the one gun theory. He was executed and then his friend right after. What okay. the, they theorized was that he he knew that Koresh was a fraud at this point and executed him, not mercy killed him. Really? Yeah. Well, if that's the case, I would have mercy killed myself and let that fucker burn. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is pretty fucked up. Yeah. This is pretty fucked up. We went we went really dark. This this cult thing went really and it's about to get darker next week. Koresh uh or Howell Vern Vern Howell, also known as David Koresh, uh he was raping kids. Yeah. Let's face it, he was he was wrong. He had a God he was complex. Bad. Yes. He felt like he could do unto others and do you it think, would not be done unto him. Do you he think, was a shitty person. Do you think half the reason he convinced those people and kept those people in there was because he was afraid when they all leave, I'm no longer going to have control. When I'm in prison, I'm just another schmo when I'm out of here. Do you think that's the reason he held so tightly to them? 
Or do you think he believed what he was saying? Could have been. It could have been Stockholm Syndrome, you know, where you start to kind of fall in love with your captor. It could be the desperation of generations growing up there, and that's all you know. Yeah. You know, like, but I'm saying, do you think he took advantage of that? Like, absolutely. Like when he... Oh, absolutely, yes. But that he was afraid to come out because if he came out, that's it. He's no longer God. He's no longer the Lamb of God. He's just Vernon fucking Howe, Joe Schmo again. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe so, maybe you know, that's why I didn't and come I out. Mean, and I mean, that's a special piece of kind of <laughs> shit right there. You're willing to let these people die these awful deaths because you don't want to fucking step down from your pedestal? For me, this has several different layers to this. Oh, this is, this is definitely... On, this onion's got a lot of This is an layers. onion. This is definitely an onion. Would you... First of all, you look at things as a human being. Yes. And if you know that there are atrocious things happening to people that are either too ignorant or too little to be able to defend themselves, like children, yeah, and uh, families that are forced into this type of behavior due to circumstance and feeling powerless or basically being bullied, at what point do you go in under the under you know under what we deem as being decent? Okay. Now I say what we deem as being decent because we're deciding the rules. These people that have decided to leave our culture feel totally differently about what's going on. Right. You know, in Pakistan you can take a twelve year old girl as your bride. It's not against the law. Yeah. A lot of people in Pakistan. Around yeah. the world, marrying a 14-year-old is not unusual. In our culture, that's a child. That's wrong. You don't do it. We're governed by the laws of this country while you're in this country. Of this culture, yes. Now, if you're going to say that, we're governed by these laws. <laughs> it's about law. Yeah. Well, there were oh, there was a lot of law here that was completely and totally either generated as it went along in terms of, you know, did they have enough evidence to go in and say, hey, these guys are Ill- illegally manufacturing guns. Were the fully automatic guns that they located on this compound, were they created and manufactured as a result of the raid? I mean, did they know how to do it? And they were right. like, fuck, well, we got to fight fire with fire? Yeah, well, at that point, they know how to make a fucking gun. So anyone that knows how to make a fucking gun probably knows how to take a semi-automatic. Like, I'm sure there's just one little thing you got to remove, and boom, there you go. Fully auto. If you're a gunsmith, you know what you're doing. You, you know can, what you're doing. You can make these modifications somewhat it, quickly. Yeah. Especially if you've got a lot of parts. Yeah. So and that was always my question, too. Yeah. Did they modify the guns after? Because during the initial raid, all I saw was, once again, you don't see the whole, you know, you just see what you see. Right. And all I saw was semi-automatic weapon fire coming towards the ATF. Once again, I, I'm a military brat. I'm not in the military, but I've been around guns. I know what, I can tell you what automatic fire sounds like and looks like. This was clearly dot, 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 dot. Some of it came a little faster if the guy had a quick fi- trigger finger. Tot, 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 tot. But it wasn't dot, 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 You know, like a three-round burst or something sure. like that. Contrary to popular belief, there isn't a big... It's not a democracy when you're working in a government agency. You don't have... They don't equip you with all the facts. Yeah. They give you the facts that you need to do your job 
and you're you've got a tight little reign of it's what a you're very need to, to know basis you have you know 80 agents to send on a farm to execute a search warrant how many of them actually do you think knew the grand scope no idea yeah the yeah. ones that were trained to take the battering ram through the door they were trained that that's my job man i'm gonna go I'm going to take the battering ram through the door of my job. You know what I mean? Yep. That's it. And yep. then after that, once they get something, they're like, whoa, 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 shit, what do I do now? Need to know briefing probably took place. The game plan was laid down, and it uh, blew up in their face. I think they rehearsed on the 25th through the 27th, so one, two, three days. Of rehearsals. Which, of rehearsals. Which is fine. Yeah. You know, I, I still think that you've got kind of a little piece of the picture of the pie. You're not there to be judge and jury. Right. You're there to do your job. Yes. And after the standoff went down, you can't say that the government didn't. We can get into the fineries of this saying, you know, well, did they keep them from escaping? Were there shots going through one door and out the other? Yeah, There were a lot of things that were brought in as evidence saying, hey, we were good, decent people. The government uh, basically had their way with us and ran us out of town and executed our group and killed our leaguer because we were. We weren't uh, attractive. And then the government comes in and said, look, man, you guys were fucking up. We went in. You know, we just wanted one or two of your guys to bring them in, question them. You know, we're just serving up a warrant. And you fucking rained fire down on us. And they're like, no, you shot our dogs and we were protecting our property. We hadn't even received the search warrant. You know, I mean, yeah, but it's kind of all. Yeah, it's it, it, you could see how in a very short period of time the best organization just falls to shit. And then all of a sudden you're left trying to like prop everything up. Now, am I making an excuse for the way that, uh, you know, public servants handled this? Uh, I'm really not. I can kind of see, you know, you can see how things get shitty. Yeah. And you, you can seriously, you can kind of see the branch Davidian side of it. Like, fuck, we're under attack. These, these people just shot an old man. I'm watching him bleed out. Fuck you. I'm shooting back. Because according to the law, apparently if the government fires on you first, you're allowed to return fire if it's on your property and it's unwarranted, which, you know, in their heads they thought. So at least according to them, that, that's their spin on it. I don't know. You guys probably out there know more than I do about that law. Well, they'll look, in, they'll look into this whole picture and they'll be able to make their own opinion on whether or not yeah. the government took carte blanche and just went in and did whatever they wanted to do. Yeah, and just kind of show off their dicks. The facts are, though, this guy was taking underage kids. He was being a piece of shit. Sexually abusing them. Yeah. And he was emotionally abusing another hundred people. Just a, a fucking community of adults. Those some voluntarily, some involuntarily. Yeah. He definitely had a religious sect, an end of day sect, a cult, if you will, that resulted in mass deaths. Seventy nine people dying. Oh god, yeah. Um, yeah. It, well, seventy five in the fire plus four ATF. Yeah. A lot of people fucking died unnecessarily because of this bullshit. This long episode, man. Yeah, it was. This is going to be like is, three hours. Yeah, this is, this is going to be the record for two, us. Two people will listen to our three-hour yeah. convoluted, completely disorganized podcast about... I didn't think it was that disorganized. I thought we did a good job. We, we kind of floated. Yeah. We don't have a producer feeding us, so we're kind of shuffling for papers and looking at phones. Right, right. We don't, we're not just like snapping our fingers and we've got our, our facts right in front of us. So. We did prepare, though. I had never brought so much paperwork Holy to these shit. things before. Yeah, I got uh, just this one document. Like, yeah. Just all this shit. Yeah. yeah, this one, and then I got 
that one, and I got that one. I hope yeah. I hope it led to a little bit better presentation this time. You guys let us know. Yeah, please do. Are we gonna leave so we're gonna we're really gonna do this? We're gonna play this shitty song. We're gonna we're gonna leave you with some crash, man. Do you have any final thoughts on this? Anything we wanna jaw about a little here? I mean I th- I think we I think we pretty much got it out. Um once again, no, no one was right in this to, to an extent that obviously Koresh was a bad man um, and he needed to get his comeuppance. Innocents were caught in the middle of government mismanagement and this bad man. Um, just lessons, I hope lessons were learned. <laughs> I really hope lessons were learned. I think when you're fucking around with kids that the fences fall and fuck you. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I, I fuck just, him. What I feel bad for is the innocent people that were in the middle of this. Are you innocent if you're an adult in that building watching that fucking creep take your kid to a bedroom? And you don't do anything about it. Yeah, a gunshot was Once again, too good for that guy. Yeah, it was too good for that guy. Well, here's some of his music. <laughs> All right. That was James Hamilton. That was Travis McFalls. Thanks for listening. Why don't you follow us on Twitter at When Life Attacks or Facebook When Life Attacks Podcast. Or you can look directly at our blog, which is whenlifeattackspodcast.com, where you can view our complete list of social media. If you prefer to keep it simple, you can just email us at whenlifeattacks at gmail.com. Thank you.